If uh, the, the aliens like manufactured you to be uh, a nah. mixed martial arts fighter, they're like, let's see if we could just turn. This I'm sure. Into would, a bad it, I'm sure if it would have happened, I would have been much better than than, than this. Much know? better than this. You're the fucking champion. What are yeah, you talking but about? if I would be alien manufacturer, I would be a <laughs> Superman. You know. Hello, ladies, gentlemen, boys, girls, aliens, Martians, any conscious being tuning into the podcast. I welcome you to episode 19 of Martian Mixed Martial Arts. Today, I got a great guest with me. He goes by the name of Sri Ram. What's up, my man? What's up? How's it going? Great, great. Uh, glad to have you on the podcast. Glad to talk uh, talk about these UFC chili fights. Talk about the UFC Liverpool coming up. And uh, talk about the big sale of the UFC that went down this week. Uh, those are going to be the three main story points we're working on. So uh, to, to kick things off, we're going to start with uh, UFC Chile. Uh, what did you think of the card, Srigram? The card on paper, honestly, kind of horrible, but ended up pretty fun with the exception of a couple fights. Great, great Which... way to put it. Uh, fight of the night, we got uh, Gabriel Benitez. Oh, no, wait, I'm sorry. It was Andrea Lee versus uh, Veronica Macedo. Um, don't know what that's about. I don't understand how the fuck that got fight of the night. Fight of the night should have been Claudio Puelas versus Felipe Silva. First fight of the night. Um, you know, it was just an incredible comeback. Uh, Felipe uh, Silva yeah. beat the shit out of him for the first 15 minutes, 13 minutes of the fight. And Poilus pulls out a knee bar out of nowhere. Insane, insane finish. Insane comeback. Yeah, I honestly thought it should have been finished earlier. As in, Felipe Silva should have should have gotten the finish. Because he was knocking Puelas down at will. Uh, it sort of looked like a Damian Maya fight with, against a wrestler at many points. But, you know, Puelas pulled it out with a knee bar somehow. It was incredible. Yeah, I mean, like you said, it could have been stopped. Jimmy Smith was on the commentary saying that it could have been stopped at any point. Uh, you know, he was getting dropped repetitively in the third round. And somehow, I mean, he was pulling off, like, submission attempts a little bit earlier in their fight. And we saw in his first fight in the UFC, his striking looked pretty bad. His takedowns looked pretty bad. Uh, he got knocked out by Martin Bravo in his first fight, took a couple years off, obviously worked on a lot of, uh, of his ground game because it looked pretty improved. You know, uh, like I said, he did have a couple of nasty leg lock attempts and then eventually locked this one up. Uh, you know, he must have been training them like crazy for him to be unconscious, not really unconscious, but, you know, uh, knocked silly. He got he got so much damage in that fight and still be able to pull off that knee bar uh, with his, you know, one eye shut, taking all that damage. Crazy, crazy comeback. Yeah, I think comeback of the year. Visit. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. The, maybe the uh, Mexican Danaher, somebody we don't know about or something. I don't honestly know where the guy trains, but I would. Uh, I should definitely look into it. Yeah, I don't think either of these guys have a Wikipedia page. So in respect to that very impressive performance from both, Felipe Silva looked pretty great. His last fight, he got knocked out by uh, Taisumov. 
no shame there. So. Yeah, Tysonov is amazing. I love that guy so much. I hope he gets back in the octagon soon. But you know, Silva looked good, you know. But damn, I think it's going to be hard. Uh, I mean, I think the the UFC will give him one more fight. But shit, man, to lose that fight like that when you're up three three rounds, probably ten eight, maybe a couple of them. Uh, For sure. You know. I understand I think that those bars... new rules could be argued ten seven. Yeah, you're right. Uh, those new rules are kind of tricky. Uh, you know, I would definitely say ten eight, but we, we can uh, talk about that later when we uh, see some of these scorecards. But Felipe Silva really like blew that fight, and it kind of reminded me of uh, Ankalov and uh, Paul. Paul is it Paul Craig? Or yeah, Berju. Yeah, exactly. Uh, good, good memory. Uh, so he was losing that fight for fourteen minutes and fifty seconds, and he pulls off a triangle and makes the guy tap after he was winning for fourteen minutes and fifty seconds. I don't understand how you don't just ride that out and get choked out in that situation. The guy must have never been choked out before, or something like that. It's hard to believe because he's you know a Russian fighter and every everything, but. Yeah, I mean, you really should be able to ride out a triangle. B bar is forgivable just because you know that's scary and painful and you shouldn't ride that stuff out that's but, true uh, i would i would uh, ideally like to see him just get his knee like torn up and somehow still win the fight because you know it, it it's it's a it's a pain thing you know you can get some shit like torn in your knee uh, it can fuck you up for a long time but it's people some guys can can withstand the pain you know vinnie maglaheas was grappling with uh uh, Gordon Ryan, uh, maybe a couple of weeks ago, and he was in a heel hook, and he was getting full out heel hooked by Gordon Ryan, his bread and butter, best special, uh, best uh, submission of one of the best grapplers in the world, and he was like smiling to the crowd and his coaches because he knows that any type of like pain submission he he ain't tapping to. He's been around the shiffer too long to tap to pain. So I mean, I I, I guess uh, I understand him tapping, but it would have been. Uh, cool to see like a Sean O'Malley sort of thing where he wins the fight unable to walk with his knee shredded yeah but I mean that's a ton to expect from a fighter who came in 1-1 the UFC and wasn't nearly as acclaimed as uh, Vinny McAlesh so given the circumstances I thought Felipe Silva did admirably but you know except without that you know bravery factor going through pain factors performance was commendable yeah that's a great way to put it too I mean he uh he, I don't know. He, I kind of think he quit, but you know, I get, I get the tap, I get the tap. Um, uh, so moving on. Uh, that was a good, great way, of, great way of putting it, though. Um, in a more, uh, you know, uh, reform, refined fans point of view. I'm kind of the, the just bleed, uh, type of fan a little bit. Um, so moving on to Hen, uh, Henry Bionis taking on Frankie Sainz. Uh, Frankie Sainz wins a decision. Uh, thirty twenty seven, thirty twenty seven, thirty twenty six. Uh, I don't know which round was a ten eight, but I don't think any of them deserved it. Uh, do you recall? Yeah, Frankie Sainz is a weird fighter. His last fight, I thought he won, but it was the sort of fighter where I expected the judges to give him the loss. It was the um Marab Dvalishvili fight, where Dvalishvili took him down, did nothing with it, while Sainz just pounded in knees from the clinch. And Henry Briones, I mean. He got knocked out by a spinning back fist at one point. He's not tremendously impressive, but this was closer than a 30-26. Yeah, I, I agree with pretty much everything there. Frankie Sainz is uh, pretty 
uh, inactive fighter himself. You know, he d- he did well in this fight and pr- puts the pace, but he's not the most exciting guy by any uh, stretch of the means. You know, getting taken down 12 times by Divashili. D- you know, Divashili is pretty bad luck so far in the UFC. Uh, maybe the worst luck like ever. Uh, you know, starting off his uh, his run like this, I think he might have one win, like legitimate win in the UFC, and then two just screw jobs but um regardless yeah even though that was a close fight and he could have definitely lost it but uh you know you would definitely think statistically the 12 takedowns would win him the fight but it's good to see the judges ruled otherwise yeah that's where the new rules come in because you know in the past like that reminded me a lot of um well not hendrix magni but like it wasn't really work from the bottom but it was just literally just kind of taking saints down and just laying down on top of him with doing nothing and eating up time and I can understand why that would be like a point score. It's just I'd rather it not be. Yes, Frankie Sainz, and yeah, so pretty pretty boring fight. Uh, like you said, definitely a little bit closer than thirty twenty six. Um, but uh, you know who who knows with uh, what what these uh, new new rules are being implemented when the judges didn't really know the old ones that well. Yeah, I mean, even the new rules didn't really, like, for scoring criteria, they didn't really change that much. It's just that there was sort of, like, a message sent where, like, you're supposed to be more liberal with 10-8s when they're supposed to be that liberal with 10-8s in the first place. So it was sort of weird. It was more the connotation that these new rules are new rather than, you know, these new rules said anything new. Yeah, uh, the 10-8 thing, uh, it's, it's such a weird thing. I don't think, like, that's a... Uh a great indicator of, you know, uh, someone beating somebody down because I think that 10 to 8 should be given when the fight is almost stopped, when the judge or when the referee is, you know, saying, uh, you know, get out of there, so-and-so, or you have to move, so-and-so, you know, when they're uh, giving them instruction, when the fight is, or when he's, like, leaning over, thinking about stopping it. But uh, when the, I don't think a 10-8 is, like, a decisive round when you take a guy down, two or three times and take his back and don't don't get a submission in or something like that, which I think is what Frankie Sands kind of did in that fight, and that's when they awarded him a 10-8. So I, don't, I definitely don't agree with uh, the 10-8s in that situation. But, you know, uh, whenever there are, uh, you know, a significant damage being done in a fight where the ref is looking at stopping it is a 10-8 in my book. Uh, yeah, that's fair. I guess it's like make it fair for grapplers you can't just weight control as nothing unless they literally get the submission when striking is weighted as even if you don't get the knockdown you still score points so i can understand why like extended back control would be you know you get points for this you get a ton of points for this this might be a 10 8 it just doesn't make that much sense from a perspective of this is a fight yeah and we'll definitely uh talk about that with the main event there is a little bit of a not a scandal but um, something to talk about uh, in the main event about that. But uh, moving on from uh, that fight, we'll talk about Enrique Barzola beating Brandon Davis by decision. Another not too uh, exciting fight. Um, besides the uh, incredible first fight on the prelims, these fight pass prelims were, uh, you know, nothing special. But uh, Barzola was able to take uh, Davis down and... Uh, you know, like you said, he got a lot of position. I don't recall him going for too many submission attempts. I don't, uh, do you? Uh, no, Barzola just really seemed content to sit there and take the points. And it makes sense when Davis wasn't putting together much on the feet anyway, so he was going to win. But it's like if Barzola is being held as a legitimate prospect, then his inability to really take 
uh, advantage of those positions is kind of concerning because he was putting Davis wherever he wanted to. Yeah, he was slamming him down like crazy. And Davis is, he's such a hit or miss. Like, his fight against Bochniak sucked. He he looked terrible. He comes out against Steven Peterson, uh, looks great. Just outstrikes him for 15 minutes straight. Great cardio, everything. Comes yeah. out in this fight looking like, uh, he just looked like, like, like a kickboxer out there. And every time Barzola shot on him, he had no idea. And then when he would maybe get it back up to his feet or at the start of a round, he would st- still be standing so like tall and so lanky and not bending his legs at all. And Barzola would just shoot uh, on him all day. Uh, and kind of a disappointing performance from Davis, you know. Uh, it's kind of, I guess that, you know, we're kind of seeing what his potential is. He kind of reminds me of like Brandon Thatch a little bit. Um, not, not as dramatic as Brandon Thatch, either on the feet or the ground. But yeah, I'd agree. It's sort of like a Thatch, Michael Johnson sort of scenario where, like, he's really good on the feet. He's good enough to, like, have people note him on the feet, but he's bad enough on the ground that, like, it's really easy to take advantage of. Yep, great comparison with Johnson. He's kind of a, a huge wimp on the ground. You know, Darren Elkins <laughs> just ran through him like hot knife through butter. But uh, he's a. Uh, yeah, he, he, great great comparison. So we'll uh, move on from that fight, not much else to say about it, to a pretty exciting fight uh, to, with Gabriel Benitez uh, defeating Humberto Bande by slam. Uh, this fight had a pretty crazy uh, start and finish. It was only 39 seconds long. I believe it started off with uh, Benitez rocking Bande, and then he fell to the ground. Bande tr- somehow got an arm bar while he was... Uh, rocked while Benitez was trying to ground and pound him and had it pretty deep in there and it looked like it had it locked up and uh, Benitez picks him up and slams him down and gets the and you know lands a couple more punches after that for the knockout but uh, did I uh, give it an accurate portrayal? Yeah it's pretty accurate there isn't a ton to say about a 40 second fight other than Slamming out of armbar shouldn't work nearly as much as it does. Like, it's kind of insane. Just because the idea of standing up out of an armbar is it requires a ton of strength in the arm holding back the armbar. And the fact that it worked twice on this card, both in this and in a pretty deep armbar Revis had on Kennedy, is sort of concerning when it comes to the idea of armbars in men's MMA. I mean, it works in women's MMA a ton, but in men's MMA, it seems to have been kind of nerfed from guard. But it's a pretty impressive feat of strength. Yeah, yeah. Uh, great uh, observation with the women's MMA. I mean, women, uh, women's MMA, like arm bars from the back are bread and butter for like every girl in the division. Uh, because Yeah, the tough finale with um, the women's, like nine women's fight had like eight arm bars. <laughs> Uh, I should uh, I, I look that up and see uh, see which one you're talking about. I believe it though. Um, there was a, a fight I believe with uh, Alexis Davis. I think at UFC one eighty six. Let me let me uh, check this out. Um, I think it was yeah Alexis Davis versus Sarah Kaufman at uh, yeah UFC one eighty six. So she, she's in Kaufman's guard. Doesn't even know like how to do an armbar, and her coach is screaming out, "Trap the arm! Trap! You know, throw your leg over the head." extend your hips and like walk on her like step by step through the arm bar in the yeah, UFC. Yeah, it's, I mean, like I understand that coaches are there to help the fighters, but 
if you're at a point where your fighter is in position to do an arm bar and isn't, like a coach should be for tactical advice, not for step-by-step demonstrations. Well, the funny thing is that she pulled it off and got the win with the arm bar. It's like it's the most pathetic thing ever from from all of their perspectives. So their coaches <laughs> in the first place, uh, you know, I guess it's not as much on him, but huge on Alexis Davis. Do you know who she fought before this? Ronda Rousey. Ronda Rousey, the best arm bar practitioner in MMA history. And she didn't even know how to do it. Um, Yet, interesting. I mean, women's MMA still isn't in an excellent place. I mean, it's straw weights getting deep, but bantamweights a ghost town. Uh, this, was, this was her twenty third fight. Call it a ghost town. Yeah, but she's she's just a, a moron, Alexis Davis. She's terrible. Um, I don't even yeah. know how she has this many wins. Um, but you know that uh, that's just a good uh, wall fight. Yeah, and you know she, but uh, yeah, good point about like the 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 nullifying of uh, arm bars in men's MMA. Yeah, the slams are definitely there. Uh, I definitely think that uh, what Rousey did a lot was she was you know when she would try to get it from guard, she would try to like explode her legs down to try to get the girl on her back, which is what men should try to do more when you can you know get it from while the guy's on his back is way higher rate of success and less damage. Um, or even like you know face down uh arm bars you know you, you we saw uh, i think uh lovato jr did one in bellator um if i'm oh, yeah, from the triangle that was pretty nice yeah so i mean obviously he lovato jr is not the not the average ufc jiu-jitsu level he's 10 times higher but still yeah, um gosh. yeah i'm being pretty good for pretty freaking impressive for bond day in the first place to even get like a get it locked in for a little bit while he's yeah, I mean, so on queer street i mean if he had gotten that arm bar that would have been a highlight in its own right and bandana is coming off a pretty good highlight of his own because he destroyed martin bravo with like 20 seconds yeah that was a so, knee, knee kick weird yeah. knockout pretty impressive yeah but i mean his his fight time is definitely uh uh very very low average probably like a average 30 second fight time but speaking of 30 second fights next fight pauliano bothello defeats shiri kondo with a body kick um just liver kicks her right off the bat first exchange funniest shit ever is that kondo has been a karate uh uh you know it's at her wikipedia says shoot a boxer kickbox boxer professional wrestler and mixed martial artist she's been in martial arts her entire life been training karate and kickboxing and all types of fighting and some girl who's been trained in like a couple years um, comes in and sl- slam or fucking like you know kicks her liver in in the first exchange, kind of ironic. Um. <laughs> I mean that's something just because her last fight was well before the uh, condo fight might have been one of the most boring women's fight in history, and that's really saying something. It was literally Vitalio landing elbows on Pro Gonzalez as Gonzalez clutched her against the fence, and it was terrible. So to see her get a 30-second finish is impressive in a way. Shocking, yeah. Sort of telling that Pro Gonzalez was also able to hold her against the fence. I think Vitalio might be one of those fighters who carries a pretty impressive amount of power in her kicks for a women's strawweight, but could be you know ground out with enough effort yeah this fight was a huge underdog to even go uh, to end in a, a finish so the fact that it ended 30 seconds in was pretty pretty crazy um let me th- see what uh bothello went around one. Oh, only plus five 25 yeah so um 
sort of a shocking result, but definitely a, a, a quick one instead of another stinker fight like you mentioned, like the one with uh, Pearl Gonzalez. But, you know, uh, kind of understandable with Pearl. Um, but that's enough of that fight. We'll uh, move on to Alexandre Pantoja defeating uh, Brandon Marino. Uh, this is a pretty exciting fight, even though I went to the scorecards. Um, Pantoja really just outclassed Marino. I'm pretty pretty surprised that he did that. Uh, Pantoja looked pretty awful in his last fight. You know, he was able to get the back on Dustin Ortiz for eight or so minutes, but he didn't really have anything on the feet. He looked bad with his cardio, and he wasn't able to finish anything on the ground. And Or really, you know... Uh, I guess he got the better of the grappling exchanges, uh, considering Dustin Ortiz is a pretty good wrestler. But Brandon Marino, also pretty good on the ground. Uh, you know, been cemented by Pantosha before back on the Ultimate Fighter. Um, but, you know, Pantosha's striking looked crisp. His gra uh, grappling and wrestling was way better than Marino's. And he uh, coasted to a decision 30-26 uh, on two scorecards. And this was a really good uh, flyweight fight, you know, lots of scrambles and grappling exchanges, which is really what you can, uh, the best you can expect for a flyweight. But a uh, good fight. Yeah, Moreno's a fun fighter. It's just, it seems like there's kind of a ceiling on him now, especially after getting outpointed thoroughly by Sergio Pettis. Uh, he's like, he was set to fight Ray Borg before this, and Borg probably would have slaughtered him if he didn't have, you know, the eye injury and the problem and the medical problems with his child. Uh, Moreno facing Pantoja really just showed that he's like the Smolka finish was good, but given how far Smolka has fallen, it's not it hasn't appreciated. <laughs> and the Pantoja, uh, Pantoja, Pantoja Ortiz was really just in my eyes a, like real hustle being rewarded in the last like two minutes by Ortiz because it was a really really close fight. Pantoja had the back for one whole round. Ortiz was controlling for one whole round, and Ortiz just like showed a ton of hunger in that last third round, just brought it to Pantoja and won the fight. So Pantoja's legit. I don't know how far he can go when Moreno hasn't looked excellent in his last few fights, but it's a promising win in a pretty shallow division. For sure. Definitely, like, skyrocketed him, I think, into the top 10 in my mind. I mean, let me pull up these UFC rankings. Um, even though they don't mean shit, I, I expect him to definitely jump into the the rankings oh yeah he's already number eight moved up four spots rightfully so i would actually put him higher than uh wilson hayes to be honest right there at number seven but uh i mean he just beat number 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 nine marino uh that's i don't understand how uh wilson hayes moves up above him but regardless like we said the the rankings don't matter too much but uh, i would definitely like to see him in there against uh john moraga or uh i think sergio pettis has a fight booked am i correct against Benavidez. Uh, yeah, Sergio. Yeah, Sergio is facing Benavidez in a couple weeks. Yeah, and uh, maybe if you know uh, Borg is able to have a camp uh, get together soon, but I doubt he can even fight within the next maybe six months or something like that. Um, yeah, I mean Borg's had three camps in the last couple months for the same opponent, and they've all fallen through. It's the flyweight Ferguson Khabib. If you know, no one cared about lightweight, even though it was awesome. Yeah, I expected. Uh, he made a GoFundMe page for uh, his daughter when she was sick, so I expect that Dana probably uh, reached out to him in some way and was able to pay for his medical fees and give him a little bit of money or extra money or something like that. Well, he definitely got paid for the uh, the incident with uh, McGregor too. So yeah, um, uh, hopefully he's doing well financially. But I can't imagine. I mean, with how sick his uh, son is um you know i can't imagine him wanting to leave 
him by, for any moment really to train for, uh, you know, I, he just, he's, that's definitely just out of the question at this point. He's not going to be able to dedicate his focus to uh, fighting or a fight camp in general while he's going through some tra- traumatic shit like that. So, yeah. Well, uh, next fight, we got uh, Michael Pizarris defeating uh, Zach Cummings in a split decision. Man, um, whew, talk about those kind of boring fights on the prelims. This one, this one. M- might be the most boring fight uh, of the, of the card. Uh, it was a split decision. I uh, I don't know. I think I think Cummings kind of won. Uh, I think that Pizarro just didn't really do enough uh, when he when he got uh, on the on the ground. Let me think. I, I think I wrote something on Share Dog about this, but I don't really remember uh, my, my my exact thoughts on it. Yeah, what what were your thoughts on it? Uh, this kind of had like a Gastelum Kennedy feel to it, where Pizarro just missed weight in all of his previous fights. He moved up a weight class and actually won, and it sort of bothered me, given that he should have moved up to welterweight ages ago. And Zach Cummings didn't really look excellent. It was really just both guys being subpar, and I honestly don't have a ton to say about it. Prezeris just has a really weird physique, and that's all that was really noticeable. Yeah, for sure. I mean, you you probably know about his weight problems at the lightweight and ha- him having to move up. So I mean, it looked it looked pretty funny though. Uh, having a what six, or I mean, excuse me, five foot seven guy welterweight fighting a six foot one guy, and somehow pulled off a win. Um, you know, uh, I, I like you said, you can't 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 say much about this fight. But um, uh, let me th- let me see if I can uh, pull up uh, my uh, my exact thoughts on uh, this fight. I have it have it written down here somewhere. Uh, I also should mention I was betting on uh, Zach Cummings, so it might be a little biased. But everyone everyone was pretty much saying Pizarro's. But I said, uh, yeah, uh, Pizarro's did nothing with the position; just laid on top of him on the ground, which he definitely did. Uh, that sparked my memory. He he was he would take him down and literally just like start like start resting right away. Just no no attempt. To, I'm pretty sure the ref had to break them up several times in this fight. Um, so awful fight. Um, Pizarro should, should not be a welterweight he should do like a mock weight cut to say that he can make 155 and uh you know go back down but uh moving yeah, on Prezeris to might be one of those guys that benefits from 165 i just don't think he's good enough to be the uh, top five in either of them so he's <laughs> what makes you just lackluster. he's 39 years old no 36 um five foot six 36 not a good look I'm pretty sure he was a he was a cop in Brazil for a pretty long time. So I mean, the dude's stuff. Holy shit! Guess how many wins in the in a row he has in the UFC without looking. Uh, four. Seven. That's insane. Five by decision though. Two by split, mm-hmm. and they're against you know cans. I I don't even know two of these guys. Gilbert Burns. That's a pretty good win, but he missed, oh, yeah. but he missed weight. Um. Let's yeah, see. I remember he faced uh, Desmond Green, who has a win over Josh Emmett. Yeah, Desmond missed weight by a ton in that fight, and you know Green, <laughs> and uh, I think, yeah, well, he, Green beat Emmett in that fight. I think Emmett was uh one one fifty five in that fight and dropped down afterwards. I think Emmett took on a short short notice or something like that. But um, yeah, Mads Bruno, I believe he's on the card this weekend. Um, but yeah, the seven wins. I guess I guess he's some. He's I guess he's good and tough and finds a way to win a decision, but. Not not very promising or anything like that. Um, speaking of promising, though, we got a fighter to win seven in a row. Yeah, good point. But uh, it was speaking of promising, Vincent Luque uh, looked, you know, 
defeating Chad LaPriest by knockout, he uh, he took his time in this fight. It looked like he wasn't really finding his flow at all. Uh, he's kind of a, a fast starter. But, uh, uh, you know, uh, mo I believe most of his fin uh, finishes come in the first round. But, um, you know, he was a uh, four minutes and 16 seconds into this round. He was able to time LaPriest perfectly. Must have been, you know, uh, you know, throwing out feints or, you know, timing this punch for a while. But he timed, a, a, I believe it was a right hand uh, perfectly and just one punch into KO. Um, yeah, uh, he. I think he landed the left hand. Just because it looked really similar to how he took out Bilal Muhammad at uh, UFC 205. But, yeah, Luke has actually turned into a little bit of a beast. His uh, his record doesn't show that he's... I think he's finished every uh, win he's gotten in the UFC. He's lost to guys like Leon Edwards. So it's a really, really solid resume. Chad LaPreece, he's decent. I liked what he was doing with Luke But I don't really know if he's going anywhere, I suppose. I mean, he got knocked out pretty quickly against a pretty unknown prospect, all things considered. So, um, not that much to say about him, but a great knockout. Yeah, uh, I I think that his inactivity has kind of been a problem, and that uh, you know, fight with Leon Edwards is, uh, you know, kind of a stain on the resume. But Leon Edwards, as we learned, is very legit, uh, very strong wrestler. Um, I think that's, you know... Yeah, Edwards is solid. I don't know if I'd pick him against Cowboy, but he's a really, really solid prospect for the division. Yeah, I hate I hate picking any Cowboy fights, honestly, because you, you just never know. But um, that's a good reminder. I haven't even really thought about that fight much. Um, but uh, yeah, Luke is, you know, a, a great jiu-jitsu guy, but jiu-jitsu guys often get uh, overpowered by strong wrestlers, and that's what Edwards is, and that might, he might have to work on his wrestling a little bit. But um, moving on, we got uh, Andrea KGB Lee defeating uh, Veronica Macedo, uh, thirty twenty seven on all three scorecards. Not the, not the most dominant performance, but uh, you know, dominant debut, I guess you could have. Uh, but I, she showed some pretty good overall skills in this fight. Yeah. It. Okay, this showed the other staple of women's MMA, which is the head and arm throw, the sort of judo throw that just results in getting your back taken in men's MMA. And Lee actually set it up far, far, far better than you see most people set it up, which is just with a sloppy headlock and just trying to throw them over. Lee actually made an effort to really set it up within the clinch, trapping the arm and such. So that was something to appreciate. Overall, I think the referee could have stood up the... Um, the exchanges where Lee was just sort of grabbing in Macedo's foot and just sort of, you know, playing with it. It was oh weird. Oh, my God. Thank God. Overall, a good about that. that. That was the most ridiculous shit ever. Like, I can't believe she... First of all, all three of them, the ref, Lee, and Macedo, smoke shows. Um, that was that was definitely the, the, the best part about this fight. Um, yeah. But, you know, the, those exchanges were so stupid uh and you know right away i don't think they sh i don't think there should be exchanges like that ever in mma it's it's completely useless you know it's it's you're just the, the if you're if you're kicking the guy or the girl on the bottom you're stupid because it's pretty much just shin on shin and you're not really doing any damage you're kind of just trading shins with one another but you know like I mean, they're only... go ahead there are like two scenarios where i'm okay with seeing that sort of thing like for an extended period of time a you're like aldo with the leg kicks or b you're gonna do a chad mendez and try to backflip over their guard otherwise just back up yep i mean if you're not i mean she probably had her number on the ground too i don't under uh, i don't know mercedes 
uh, I wouldn't say I have her number, but you know, it was kind of a little bit more of an even matchup on the ground, I would say. But shit, man, it was so so ridiculous when they were doing that, and the the fight the fight ended with it, and I was just laughing my ass off. Like no better way to end this shit fight. I mean, it wasn't that bad, but still, the 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 the, the leg kicks that like those those things just ruined it. It was so ridiculous that they just kept doing that, but. Regardless, uh, I mean, women's flyweight Andrea Lee is probably already like ranked fifth or something like that. Um, she that that division is pretty pretty shallow. Uh, she's twelfth. Uh, yeah, so I mean, that's pretty accurate, honestly. I would like to see her in, in there against you know Ashley Evans Smith or something like that. Um, Smith looked pretty good in her last fight. Well, compared to her opponent, I suppose. <laughs> good, great point. Beck Rawlings is garbage hot garbage Beck, yeah Beck Rawlings is that that whole fight sort of looked like um this two like really just total amateurs almost it's just that Ashley Evans Smith was a little bit more polished and it really showed yeah uh, Beck Rawlings doesn't even train honestly I think she's fighting mm-hmm. bare bare knuckle boxing tomorrow night oh uh, yeah Beck Rawlings can you believe that? She she's going from being one of the most boring, unskilled fighters in the UFC to bare knuckle boxing. She's gonna get her face smashed in if the girl has like any experience at all. That's uh, I, I, I wish I cared it. enough. Yeah, but... right. I'll watch the highlights afterwards. Um, the next fight uh, we got uh, Guido Canetti defeating Diego Rivas by decision. Uh, Diego Rivas, the only Chilean-born fighter on the card, and the freaking judges forgot to give him the decision. Um, I don't understand uh, this. I don't know. I, again, betting on Diego Rivas, so kind of kind of biased. But um, you know, I can't believe that that. Uh, this was the this was the decision. I, I, I thought that Rivas uh, did did pretty good with the grappling. Had a, some close submission attempts. Like you said, they had that one um, power bomb from the armbar. But I don't know. Guido just didn't didn't really do enough to win the decision in my mind. Uh, maybe you, I, I'm just biased, but maybe you can clear it up. I mean, I scored it for Kennedy, but Rivas just didn't look good. I suppose like. For example, when he went for a takedown, Guido Canetti pulled off a scramble that someone who's seven and four shouldn't be able to do, and it really felt like it was just Diego Rivas just making all the wrong moves. Like he made Canetti look like Luke Rockhold in that scramble, and it was kind of sad. But uh, I gave it to Canetti. He has a really weird style. He sort of moves around, like skulks around with, like like he's trying to look cool, and then he just fell over from his own leg kick. So. I don't think either of these guys are going anywhere. Kennedy especially, he's he sort of just seems to rely on like gigantic winging shots, and I think he lost to a triangle choke in his last fight. This being on the main card is literally just because Rivas is Chilean, and even that didn't work out. So a close decision like this, a measuring stick for the Chilean judges to see if they're not you know horribly biased, and I think they got the decision right. But you know, just neither guy looked excellent. Yeah, good way of putting it. I mean, Kennedy's really old and has struggled with inactivity. I'm pretty sure he lost three fights in a row before this, if I recall correctly. Um, no, never mind. Uh, he got uh, triangled by uh, Kyo Hong Kong, but did have a three-year hiatus before that. So, yeah, like I said, struggle with activity. 
uh, good way of putting it by saying that there's not much going anywhere. So uh, I had, uh, just looking at uh, what I was commenting during this fight, uh, Kennedy won round one pretty decisively. I thought that Rivas won round uh, two with uh, some takedowns and the sub attempts. Um, but, and, uh, unfortunately the round three was pretty close and, uh, you know, you know, Rivas was, had him hurt in the third round against the fence and then he just takes him down and ends up like getting like, like losing position on the ground. I can't believe that. Oh, and they were, they kept touching gloves the entire time. <laughs> like they were like buddy, buddy in there, just like touching gloves every time. Like, like, uh, man, just, he, he really, uh lost that lost that fight him himself um yeah, was obviously some but bizarre you know, fight iq if he just showed a little more tenacity uh, throughout like the uh, round two and three which Kennedy is known to slow down i don't understand why he didn't you know hype up the or uh, you know uh increase his intensity and uh try to win on the scorecards but uh but regardless yeah he chilean fighter testicular cancer they didn't give him they didn't give a shit they said he lost. Um, but uh, moving on to uh, a nice quick fight with uh, Dominic Reyes defeating Jared Cannonier by TKO. Uh, this was, uh, you know, pretty, pretty, uh, oh, shit, I'm thinking if I can remember this knockout, if I can picture it in my mind. Do you remember it? Uh, it was a sort of a weird one. Reyes was getting backed up a lot by Cannonier. He managed to pull out a pretty nice left uppercut. Sort of swarmed him, landed another uppercut, and Cannonier just dropped on his face. Got right back up. The stoppage was a little bit weird, but I thought it was good. Nice, yeah. Um, I mean, I'm sure the, uh, yeah, of course, the streamable on Reddit has been uh, banned already. Let me see if there's a mirror, and I can uh, I can find the, uh, the exact uh, recollection of this um, knockout. Fight sponsored by Metro PCS. That's good. Cannonier looked totally different in this fight, by the way. He's been bald in, like, all of his other fights and no beard. In this fight, he's like has a full head of hair. It's so weird. I'm convinced that it wasn't even the same guy. So, yeah, I see what you're saying. He was going back with that left uppercut, stunned him, and he was kind of just running away on, like, not really knowing where he was. And then one more left uppercut dropped. I mean, a pretty weak stoppage, honestly. Um... Uh, I mean, him walking away like that is kind of kind of uh, won him the fight a little bit. But uh, funny thing is, Mark Otto, like you see that he he was like moving one direction, and then like right when he dropped, he moved the other direction and fell out of his shoe. Uh, that's kind of funny. Yeah, remember that happened to uh, Mergliata and the um, Johnson Poirier finish. It's like Reebok couldn't even give the referees decent shoes. It was it was it was bizarre. But yeah, the finish to this fight. I didn't understand it on first watch, but on the replay, the slow motion, you could kind of see Cannonier's eyes roll back, and I feel like Reyes would have just, you know, destroyed him if uh, he was forced to follow up. So, in retrospect, a decent stoppage, but I don't know if I want that to be a precedent. Yeah, that's a pretty pretty accurate uh, description. I mean, this uh, yeah, uh, Reyes was two to one in the two uh, in the odds in this book, so. I understand uh, that he kind of smoked him pretty early, but I thought it was even more lopsided than that. I mean, Reyes was a pretty hyped-up prospect, and Cannonier is kind of known as like a lucky, like one-punch kind of um, sloppy fighter. But 
Um, regardless, pretty pretty good uh, showing from Reyes. I mean, light heavyweight's pretty thin, so sky's the limit for that guy. Um, next fight, we got uh, Tatiana Suarez being the biggest favorite on the card, taking on Alexa Grasso. Um, this fight was uh, pretty uh, favorite to go to the scorecards. You know, Suarez by decision was the most uh, likely outcome. But uh, Suarez was able to uh, kind of take her down and bully her on the ground right away, which we knew was going to definitely happen. We thought maybe Grasso could last to a decision. But uh, Suarez was able to just totally uh, run through her, take her back, and choke her out. Yeah, uh, Grasso, it was weird because Grasso, like, she used to be pretty hyped up for, you know, being a prospect in a decently deep women's division. And then she got a weird decision of a round of Marcos, I believe. And now facing Tatiana Suarez, she just got sunned. It was, it was, uh, it's bizarre matchmaking for Grasso, but it made perfect sense to make Suarez into a bigger star. Yep. I mean, they kind of, they kind of used her as a stepping stone, but <laughs> shit, man. I mean, when you have a better fighter than some pretty girl with a little bit of name behind her, it's kind of good to throw her to the wolves. But um, <laughs> moving on to the main event. This main event had, like, I had no urgency whatsoever to see this fight. Couldn't care less about this fight. I mean, Usman, I think, is really overhyped. I think he's terrible on the mic. I think he's, like, a total joke. The, the he's, he's on a, a, an interview with Matt Sarah, and he's talking about Colby Covington. He's like, man, I never hated a guy so much like this, man. Like, when I when I see him, it, like, it makes me, rem it reminds me of those schoolyard bullies from from middle school and, and like I get so tense and I just want to kill him. I'm like, dude, are you kidding me? This guy is like the most blatant like troll in the world, and you're literally almost crying on like an interview talking about him when he's God. The 25th talking. anniversary press conference was hysterical. He just kept saying, "We live 20 miles away. We have mutual friends." It's like you, you face a you face a 10 year old on Xbox Live and you get really serious about one one v one me in real life. Like it's never gonna happen. Yeah, I that's a I mean Kobe yeah, Kobe's attitude is pretty much a ten year old on Xbox Live, honestly. But uh I mean I was at that press conference actually in Brooklyn and I just I, I, I screamed out thirty percent as loud as I could when Kamara was started talking, but I don't think anybody around me got the joke. But I later <laughs> screamed free Connor at like a like a, a pause in the action and everybody laughed uh so that was i honestly left like uh 30 seconds after that because it was so stupid like and like i was leaving there and like i heard some guy behind me and he's like what the fuck dude they're talking like they're they're in like middle school and they're idiots <laughs> like he was i don't even know what this guy was on or whatever he didn't sound too uh too uh, present, but either way, he pretty accurate description. I mean, they were just like all the guys up there, were like Ooh. it was like coming up with like the dumbest insults and all trying to be tough guys, and it's it's so stupid. Um, I understand yeah, for big fights, you know, like for GSP and Bisping. I don't know if you were uh, have you listened to the Rogan podcast with Bisping or with uh, GSP yet? Uh, I haven't listened to the whole thing. I've listened to parts of it. Yeah, me too. But uh, my favorite part of the whole uh, 25th anniversary press conference was Colby Covington acting like he was, you know, a discount Conor McGregor, only for uh, Dos Anjos to just bury him effortlessly with just his shirt. 
It was incredible. Oh uh, yeah, that was a pretty pretty smart move. I don't yeah I don't think I don't think either of them really got the better of that because it's just there's so low stakes in it. Like nobody really cares to see them on the mic either. Like it's a it's a hell of a matchup, one of the best fights of the year. But nobody gives a fuck about them two on the mic. Um, I mean, I was like, uh, let me check their followers. Like, they're both, like, tweeting shit on, like, or putting shit on Instagram. Rafael Dos Anjos, 562,000 followers, something like that. And then Colby Covington has, like, 85,000. I'm like, dude, you're literally doing all this shit talking. You're being so loud, like, talking about everything. And you only have 85,000 followers? Like, it's not working. Uh, I mean, I kind of like I like Colby Covington. I think he's a, a great fighter, and I think he's you know, really good at trolling and everything like that. Um, think he might, you know, cross the line sometimes, but that's what you have to do to kind of troll. Uh, but I think that people, people responding to him, like Dos Anjos being actually like mad or like, he's not too emotional, but like Usman reacting to him is so, mm-hmm. is so pathetic. Um, yeah. Dos Anjos' reaction is kind of the right one. It reminded me of just, uh, Dennis Seaver against McGregor, just sort of sitting there and like not moving a muscle, not even caring. And I think... Like Dos Anjos, he he has a like if he beats Colby Covington and if he beats Woodley, and I think he has a decent shot to do both. If he can, then he has a legitimate shot to be one of the greatest of all time. It's just that he doesn't have a lick of charisma when he speaks in English, so nobody cares. And it's a real shame when Colby Covington's getting attention from being the worst trash talker ever who actually tries to trash talk. Yeah. Um, I think, uh, I, yeah, he, I mean, Dos Anjos's English is like, who cares, this guy's a clown. Uh, you know, it's just like, it sounds, like you said, very uncharismatic. And, um, you know, I definitely think that he uh, would be uh, a lot higher on the, the list if he were able to beat those two guys. But I don't think it happens. Um, honestly, I think that uh, Covington is just going to show up. Uh, that wrestling is the most dominant aspect in MMA, and uh, it doesn't matter. Like, I, th- like there's just like a, a line between uh, takedown defense, MMA takedown defense, and Division One wrestling. And like, unless you're, I mean, Dos Santos is of course like as game as they get. Uh, I was gonna say unless you're Jose Aldo, and I mean, uh, Rafael Dos Santos is pretty much that caliber. But uh, I, I think that he'll be able to stuff some takedowns for a little bit, but I don't think he'll be able to keep Covington off of him uh, for the length of the fight and maybe we'll lose a decision like th- three rounds to two or something like that. But um, that I won't, I won't, we won't talk about that too much because that's still in a couple weeks and I don't want to spoil that. Um, but we'll talk about this main event, Maya versus Usman. The uh, first round is pretty much the only one worth talking about. Uh, Damian Maya uh, had an opportunity where he kind of like got Usman's back against the cage. He had maybe one leg wrapped around him and his arms wrapped around his upper body and had him tied up around the cage. For one minute straight, they're sitting there and Leon Edwards, or Roberts, uh, yeah, Leon Roberts, not Edwards, um, decides to break them up. And uh, a lot of people, I, I didn't really notice it at the time. I mean, Maya was doing nothing there. He was not trying anything. He was punching him in the butt after he told him to do something. Obviously, bad timing with the, the breakup in general. But, you know, Matt Sarah saying that, like, it cost Damian Maya the fight. I don't disagree with that. I mean, I don't agree with that at all. I feel like the stoppage of it was kind of, like, botched and it wasn't right. But I can't, I can't say that that ruined him the fight. I mean... I mean, on the one hand, I understand 
like why people are saying that just because Damian Maya had exactly zero effective offense after that point. And if he had managed to make it work and, you know, he's one of the few that can really take a bad position and make it actually work, then it would have been a pretty impressive win when it comes to the fact that he's facing probably one of his worst stylistic challenges in the top. But on the other hand, it looked a lot closer alive than it did on a rewatch because Kamaru Usman had that, I believe it was an overhook and he wasn't letting go. So when you're punching someone in the glutes to keep something from being broken up, it's not effective. It's like if John Fitch had done that, everyone would be on his ass like that. So there's, I, I think it was a good breakup, but I can understand where people are coming from. Yeah, I think Maya looked horrible. His takedowns were non-existent. He had no setup to to them at all. He looked, you know, just helpless um, on the feet. Couldn't get uh, anything going on the ground. Maybe tried to pull guard a couple of times. Wasn't too successful. But it's not like Usman looked good at all either. I mean, he beat Damian Maya, but sh- shit, man, he looked as you know unimpressive as you can for f- four rounds to one. Uh, I mean, it's not like he it's not like he showed good takedown defense because Maya's takedowns were so bad and anybody in the division could have finished uh, or defended them. It's not like his striking looked good because he couldn't even outstrike the 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 grappler with very rudimentary striking, who was gassed out and took this fight on short notice and got his ass kicked in his last fight and is zero for forty nine in his past three fights on takedowns. Uh, so uh, I mean, just as as unexciting of a main event you can watch i mean everyone was joking saying like the they were falling asleep in it probably not even joking honestly probably for real i mean the fight was at one in the morning can't can't blame them if they were sleepy i think it's uh, underselling my a little bit to say that anyone could have defended the takedowns but on the other hand kamaru usman straight up walked down a pretty dangerous brazilian jiu-jitsu fighter in sergio moraes and he knocked him out with a pretty incredible right hand so i don't know whether this is just usman buying into the hype of maya specifically being incredible which would would be warranted but you know really hurt his performance or it's just legitimately usman's performance against marais being a gigantic anomaly and him being a wrestling center wet blanket which seems to be more likely after two pretty let's let's say impressive but unexciting performances yeah, I would say, yeah, I mean, his win against Emil Meek wasn't anything special either. It's, I mean, uh, I mean, if you're trying to get yourself in line for a title shot, which he is unjustly so because he hasn't beaten anybody in the top 10, um, ex- you know. Except for Damien. Yeah, if he counts. Um, what was he? What was he ranked at the time? I feel like it was like five or something. But oh man, yeah, it was five. I think, I, I think that's. I think oh, let's check what he is now because I can think of a lot. A lot of fighters. It uh, Leon Edwards is, is top. wasn't top ten at the time, but he is now. So that's a that's a pretty legit win. Um, he's down at six now. I mean, sheesh. I guess he. I guess he did beat Maz Duval pretty recently. Um, what that? What, when was that? Was that after? Yeah, it was before he got knocked out by, uh, Co- or not Covington. Let me let's check that shit out. Uh, Maya's record. Uh, yeah, he beat him at UFC two eleven. Oh, okay, interesting. Yeah, that that fight was sort of weird. It was pretty much just uh, Masvidal landing like a little bit of shots on the feet, and then Maya just controlling him on the ground. Yeah, and it like. For a guy who had really good takedown defense before the fight, 
Masvidal just didn't show the sort of like it sort of supports the point that D1 is a different ball game because Masvidal got sort of taken down at will in that fight. Yeah. Every round. Was he a, was he a wrestler? Well, I don't think Masvidal is D1 or anywhere no, close. Yeah. But his takedown defense was actually pretty sturdy before the Maya fight. Yeah, and Maya also said that he his jiu-jitsu defense was one of the best he's ever felt, honestly. Uh, like, I think, you know, that's pretty, that, that goes with a lot of say. I mean, he defended well and ended up going to a split decision because um, he was able to escape a lot of the positions and nullify uh, his jiu-jitsu and obviously land. He was the only one landing on the feet. But um, that I, I don't think that was a split decision. I think Maya won that one pretty clearly. But um, so that's that's enough of this card. We'll uh, move on. We've been talking about it for a pretty, pretty decent amount of time. But uh, we're going to move on to uh, UFC Liverpool taking on taking place this sunday morning eastern time i believe it's let me uh check this i think it starts at 10 a.m eastern time um yeah that's 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 kind of cool i guess yeah i might have to wake up i love the europe cards for this i love them might have to set an alarm uh to wake up at at, at 10 a.m but um let me let me it's uh, so nice like if one of these fights ends up being boring, I don't like really feel the need to sleep and like miss Stephen Thompson or stare until it's, I can just skip it and stay up. Because if this is what's happening at 1 a.m., there are like a few of these fighters that I don't know, and Elias is fighting, which means mm-hmm. that I'll probably feel asleep in the middle of the day. This, yeah, the, this card st- d- d- stinks. Um, but, uh, you know, so the, obviously it goes without say the main event is, uh, an incredible, incredible fight. Everyone's pretty, pretty excited about it. You know, the betting lines are going crazy. Uh, BC, B, BT sport added a, uh, MMA column to their, uh, website this week. Um, the Bellator is in London this, uh, Friday, tomorrow night. Uh, the Liverpool is in some like soccer championship Saturday, I believe, and then the UFC is Saturday night. So it's gonna be a crazy, crazy atmosphere in uh, London. Um, let me. So if this 10 a.m. our time, so what? What? What time does it start their time? Is it? Well, I honestly afternoon? have no idea. It's probably around the same time our pay per views normally are, or our events normally are, because you know morning cards. I don't think they do that well when they have to compete with a bunch of other daytime sports it's it's five hours ahead so that means it starts at 3 p.m there okay that that's normal time yeah and then so it's sunday sunday night for them so their soccer game must be saturday and then the the game the ufc is sunday uh sunday afternoon or sunday night so that's gonna yeah should be crazy atmosphere you know darren till has been doing some crazy uh hyping for this fight uh, we won't talk about it yet, though. We'll uh, we'll we'll save all we'll save it until we talk about these uh, ten or eleven snoozer fights we have before this. Um, let's see. Off the top of my mind, I'm li- looking at the card now. Is there what two or three people ranked on this card? Uh, it's it's uh, pretty slim pickings. Yeah, I think not, Elias not is ranked. Main, not including the main main events. Um, yeah. Yeah, Eli- I think Elias is, uh, Elias is ranked. Magni is definitely ranked. Knight was ranked before he got destroyed by Lamas. Uh, past that, I can't see anyone who. Well, Taleb should be ranked. I don't know if he is. But, no, does, yeah, and Jillian and, Roberts and these ranked. Two, the two. Landsberg and Manze are ranked, but that's. I don't even know like what division they're ranked in. Um, like what? Women's what, Bantamweight's horrible. Yeah, that's. 
I, I'm pretty sure that uh, this land, how many fights has Landsberg even had? She's one and one, and she's uh, okay, but um, that's her. Well, her loss was to Cyborg. Yeah, well, no, uh, one and two. She lost to Aspen Ladd as well. Um, she beat oh. Lucy Pudilova, who is pretty, pretty, pretty bad. Um, but you know, I obviously, uh, you know, pretty on par with the the skill level in the rest of the UFC. Uh, I mean, division. bantam, being ranked in women's bantamweight, like to put it in perspective, at UFC 224, Raquel Pennington hadn't fought for longer than Conor McGregor, and her last win was a retired Misha Tate. She got a title shot, so I don't really think it's it means a ton for these two to be ranked at women's bantamweight, and I don't know how good of a fight we can expect. Yeah, that's that's highly accurate. I don't really know much about either of their styles, and I don't. Um, I guess I'll see this this Sunday, but I'm, we don't even have to really talk about it much because we'll probably just be grasping at straws. But uh, let me also let me take a look at the odds for it though. I believe that uh, the uh, let's see, what's her name uh, Manze opened as a pretty big underdog. Yeah, um, she opened up plus 145 and it's bet all the way down to evens uh or not not evens right now she's actually the favorite now with landsberg being the underdog so it seems like uh, the odds makers set her as uh as an underdog uh you know they gave her let's see 100 divided by 245 a 41 percent uh, chance at winning and now she is all the way up at one um she's all the way up at one That's not right. Seventy-four percent implied probability. That can't be right. I'm fucking up. I'm fucking up with these odds here. Whatever. Uh, I'll figure it out later. Minus one thirty-five. Either way, uh, I'll uh, I'll move on to the next fight because, like I said, we don't know what we're talking about with this one. A uh, little bit better. Uh, not really expecting much. Elias Theodoro taking on Trevor Smith. Theodoro, like you said, is pretty uh pretty boring fighter. Uh, kind of a point fighter. Uh, goes to the decision a lot. Trevor Smith, this guy's been in the UFC for a good amount of time, and I don't think I've ever heard of him. Have you? Yeah, I'm going to take a look at his opponents just because Elias Theodoro, he's um, he's the sort of fighter that makes a lot of people look absolutely horrible. And, like, not even absolutely horrible in the sort of destroyed Khabib way, but just absolutely horrible in the way that, like, they can't get anything done and don't take much damage, so it just kind of looks like... They didn't do anything. So I remember when Brad Tavares got the decision against him, it was absolutely amazing. So uh, looking at Trevor Smith, assuming this is the right guy, he has a decision over Chris Kamazi, and he has, uh, yeah, wow, he's been here for a long time. Yeah, right? How, like he's, I don't remember ever seeing him. I mean, all fight nights, he's never fought on a pay-per-view. Um, let's see. This is absurd. I, yeah, I, I can't, I can't, this... I don't know a lot of these guys. Tor Troning, Brian Houston, uh, Joe Guglati. He's been here since Chances. 2013. Yeah. This might be the, like, this is like, like even a high estimate, it's like the tw second or third time I've ever heard his name. Yeah, I mean, I th a lot of people have thought that it was, I saw some guy that said he, uh, he saw the line for this fight, and he bet on Trevor Smith right away, and he was like, fuck, I thought it was Anthony Smith. <laughs> um, 
which would have been a little closer, but I think that, uh, I don't know, yeah, I think actually uh, Anthony Smith would knock him out in that fight, but that's beside the point, because that's not even a real fight. Um, Elias <laughs> Theodoro was, uh, you know, I, 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 we don't really know much about Smith, so it's, I can't really make much of a prediction, but uh, he's a, a gigantic, gigantic favorite. Let me, let me see what he uh, stands at right now. Minus 445. Okay, so I figured out a new probability again. I correct myself. So uh, Manze is her name. Oh, uh, had 41% initially, and then she is now at 57%. So that means that um, our boy, uh, the um, male ring card guy, uh, is at... 82% implied probability. I don't think that he should be 82% against anybody. He stinks. Uh, so Honestly, at negative 445, the, the comeback is going to be big enough that Trevor Smith is going to be worth a punt, win or lose. I mean, he isn't exactly a bum. A win over Chris Kamazi is nothing to laugh at. His losses are to guys like Tim Kennedy, uh, Let's see, Tali's Lighties, Andrew Sanchez. Sanchez looked good enough against Ryan James before just gassing out horribly. So I doubt this guy's the kind of guy to, you know, just like get absolutely blown out by Elias because nobody gets absolutely blown out by Elias. But I mean, he's worth a punt just to land that lucky shot because negative 445 is insane. Yeah, um, good point. The The value is definitely on um, the Trevor Smith at plus 355, um, definitely. So uh, we'll move on to Jillian Robertson taking on Molly McCann. Uh, cricket, cricket. Mm, um, McCann... McCann has a decent amount of hype, I suppose. She's coming from a rival promotion. I can't remember what it is. I remember seeing her on a rival promotion. But she's uh, fairly well-known for being uh, um, Cage Warriors. That's where she was. She was a champion in Cage Warriors. And for being a women's uh, flyweight you know, import, she's fairly well-known. And it's um, Jillian Robertson did well in her uh, tough finale fight where she got an arm bar from guard as is tradition. Hmm. So <laughs> I don't know enough about either person to make a pick on this fight uh, as can, it's sort of a theme for this, for this fight card, unfortunately. Yeah. So, slacking with the research this week uh, at Martian MMA, unfortunately, but it's not like anyone is tuning in to hear their perspective uh, our perspective on julia robertson versus molly mccann but you know cage warriors is a excellent promotion uh, i don't i haven't heard too much about their women's division but i imagine it's uh actually a pretty uh good skill because it's pretty much the dominant promotion in europe besides ksw and maybe a couple of russian promotions but that's not really europe at that point but um so, uh, yeah, we don't really know much about either of them to make a prediction. So, uh, we'll, I'm going to uh, check out the line real quick and see where it's at. Molly McCann at minus 250. Um, seems pretty accurate with her being, you know, the much more experienced fighter. Um, and But, you know, plus 200 for a girl who's already made her debut in the UFC, already got a win in the UFC versus a girl who's coming into the UFC. Um, you know, uh, low-level women's MMA is always unpredictable. Yeah. I mean, Robertson certainly isn't... She got a... The, the armbar she got on um, 
I think it was Emily something Wait, no. at uh, the tough and I was pretty nasty. She sh it sort of rolled into it and like the camera angle was all dramatic. It was incredible. But I mean, I don't really think like that many women's fights, especially for a debuting fighter are worth negative 250 odds. I just don't. So, I mean, if you want to go for a parlay, I'm sure Molly McCann is a decent choice, but individually, like I wouldn't really bet on this fight. Great, great analysis. We'll uh, move on to Bradley Scott taking on Carlo Pedersoli Jr. Um, Bradley Scott is 11-5. and five. Uh, He's been in the UFC for a good amount of time. He lost to Robert, Robert Whitaker, Claudio Henrique de Silva, Christoph Joko, and Jack Hermosin. And uh, Claudio Pedersoli Jr. Uh, is making his UFC debut, also coming from uh, Cage Warriors. But his most recent win in Cage Warriors was over at Nicholas Dalby, who's a former uh, UFC fighter. Kind of struggled uh, towards, uh, you know, in the UFC. He beat uh, uh, Oleski Dos Santos, who we saw got that spinning head kick uh, knockout a couple weeks ago. Went to a draw with Darren Till after uh, Darren Till kind of gassed out in the third round of their, that fight, but was then uh, dropped his next two fights to Zach Cummins and Sobata and was cut. But, um, you know, definitely uh, some pretty good experience. He was 14-2 and two going into that fight, and uh, Carlo Pedersoli uh, was able to defeat him. But uh, have, haven't, haven't seen this gentleman fight, um, but uh, let's uh, take a look at the odds uh, for this fight. We got uh, Pedersoli at minus... 170 at Brad, Brad Scott at plus 150, uh, and it actually opened uh, at um, Pedersol being a little more of a uh, uh, favorite, so it seems like people are uh, having a little bit of faith in Brad Scott and uh, bet his way a little more. I mean, Brad Scott and his losses certainly aren't anything to scoff at. I mean, uh, Claudio Silva, I believe, is also fighting on this card. Uh, Robert Whitaker, that's self-explanatory. Uh, Jotko, he's in a bit after uh, the losses to uh, Tavares and Branch and Hall, but he's still a very, very solid fighter. So, and Jack Hermanson, again, the same, uh, lost to Tiago Santos, but to beat Tali's Lighties. So, really, Brad Scott, he's not a, he hasn't been proven to be a bad fighter, but he's also an unproven fighter. So, I don't know whether I agree with these odds for a debuting fighter. Like, I feel like for most debuting fights, I would have him as a pick unless they're going up against, like, number five right away, like Gaethje Johnson was. But after a point, like, I guess there's a need to attach odds at some point. So I guess I have to agree with it. Yeah, uh, I, I don't really know much about uh, either of these guys enough to make a, a, too much of a prediction, but uh, I, I agree with what you were saying about with the odds. Um, so we're just going to move on to the next fight on the card, and which is Dan Kelly taking on Tom Breeze. Dan Kelly, the at the ripe age of 40, uh, taking on um, Tom Breeze. Tom Breeze is 10-1 uh, in the UFC. His last loss came to Sean Strickland uh, almost two years ago. He's kind of struggled with uh, um, yeah, activity a little bit. He pulled out of a fight. Uh, the day of the event uh, uh, against Oluwe Bambuse uh, last year in London. Um, so it seems like he's having some some sort of uh, injury problem or something like that, staying uh, in fighting shape. Um, he's come over from Bama, pretty uh, pretty famous guy from uh, London, England, or London, England, I believe. And uh, I'm sure he'll have a huge uh, ovation um, 
uh, with this card. Even though Dan Kelly is not not an American, you know, so they don't they probably won't go. Uh, they won't hate him as much. But it's, I'm pretty sure he's Australian or uh, New Zealand. Yeah, Australian. So um, I imagine that uh, the 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 crowd will probably have a factor in this one because I can definitely see it going to the decision. Uh, unless Dan, uh, I mean Dan Kelly's pretty much done at this point. He lost his last fight to uh, Elias Theodoro pretty badly. I think he lost every round in that fight and just looked pretty bad, if I'm correct. Um, losing before that to Derek Brunson by knockout. Um, let me uh, check the scorecards on that yeah, Theodoro fight. Uh, yeah, 30-26 actually on one of the cards. Uh, but 30-28 on one of the cards. So who, who the hell knows? Uh, yeah, so Kelly is, Kelly's, you know, pretty weak. Um, and uh, I imagine that... Uh, Tom Brees will be able to win this fight, uh, and uh, the odds are currently at um, Tom Brees minus three fifty, Daniel Kelly plus two ninety. A lot of people are, uh, you know, I think Daniel Kelly actually opened yeah opened minus or plus one eighty, so he got bet all the way down to plus two ninety. So it seems like people are pretty confident in uh, Tom Brees in this one. Uh, I thought Brees actually beat Strickland. I remember it was, um, I believe, UFC 199. Yep. And Brees and Strickland looked exactly the same. Just And that's what's back when they had uh, just the white on black tights and the black on white tights. And they were both bald white dudes. So it was it was easy to see how the judges might have gotten confused. But, yeah, Tom Brees is legit. He uh, And, you know, beating Strickland is no joke. Going to, I mean, going to the decision with Strickland is pretty normal. But, you know, he... Uh, did well against Strickland, but you know you got to respect Captain Australia coming out uh, at age 40. He said he's retiring after this fight, and he actually has a pretty good win. He has a knockout win over uh, one of the bigger prospects at middleweight right now, and that's uh, Shoeface Antonio Carlos Jr. So this is one of the more interesting fights at, on this card, uh, as you can see. If I haven't been exactly uh, that excited most of these fights that we've gone through so far, but this one's worth keeping an eye out for. I've got Brees because Kelly's talked about retiring. He's 40. He's getting old, but you know, it's one to watch. Yeah. Uh, I didn't know that about the retiring thing. That's never, never a good sign going into a fight. I'd actually be curious to see the statistics on it because I imagine that the, they would have a gigantic losing record going into that. Honestly, the only person I could, that comes to mind uh, saying that they were going to retire before their fight and then retire, uh, having a good performance was Uriah Faber. Um, but uh, moving on to yeah, the next that was... we got uh, Claudio Silva taking on Nordin Taleb. Uh, Nordin Taleb, uh, his last uh, two wins coming over Oliver Enkamp, the Swedish Muay Thai fighter, and uh, Danny Roberts by that pretty brutal knockout where him with a head kick and like knocked him over to the point where Danny Roberts grabbed the cage to like hold himself up and while he was grabbing the cage like a fucking moron like he was getting like t like like he was getting like uh patted down by the police he just like gets slugged in the face with like an elbow and a punch and just goes down like the Titanic so pretty pretty cool knockout but um I mean Nordin Taleb is not not really the the greatest striker uh I mean he, that's definitely his uh, strong suit but uh, he was uh, his lost fight to Santiago, uh, Santiago Ponzinibbio and was uh, choked out by uh, Wally Alvarez. You know his striking is definitely his uh, his strong suit. But uh, you know Claudio Silva also having a pretty big uh, inactivity problem, three and a half year gap 
in since his last fight, which was a split decision over Leon Edwards. So I mean, shit, uh, you don't even know what to expect with a guy with a three and a half year gap. Um, he is. I mean, has won 11, 11 A win games. over Leon Edwards is pretty impressive, but Leon Edwards in that three and a half years has gone from not a virtual unknown, a literal unknown, to one of the better contenders and prospects. So I don't know if I'd actually like put too much stock in that win. And Nordin Taleb, I think he's actually pretty underrated. I mean, he's his wins don't really speak a ton, but he's sort of the kind of fighter that seems to get overlooked a lot. And like I remember he was supposed to be a sort of a not a stepping stone, but uh he was facing Eric Silva, who used to be a pretty big prospect. And he knocked him out with a pretty vicious right hand. And he faced uh, the leech, Li Jing Liang. And, uh, you know, the knockout of Danny Roberts was pretty impressive as well. So, Nordin Taleb, I favor him over Claudio Silva basically just because of the inactivity. And Claudio Silva, I mean, if he's going to actually be a force in the division, he needs to get some fights going. Yeah, um, the inactivity is just a massive, massive question yard. And, uh, you know, Tulub is pretty old himself, the 36, but he's uh, looked pretty good in his last couple of fights. And, um, you know, three, three, out of, uh, three out of four wins in his last uh, four fights. But I, I believe he uh, his cardio is a little bit, uh, could could be his, you know, weakness. He uh, A lot of his wins come in the first round, and it seems like he likes to, you know, go uh, balls to the wall pretty quickly. So... Uh, you know, I think that uh, if Claudio Silva could uh, potentially, uh, you know, drag this fight in the uh, later rounds, then he could uh, squeak out a decision. Um, but, you know, definitely, you know, uh, like you said, the inactivity might just uh, favor uh, people in uh, Taleb's way. The odds currently stand at uh, Nordin Taleb opened at minus 190. He's bet all the way down to minus 300 right now, um, which is pretty crazy. Actually, minus 360, excuse me. And then uh, Claudio De Silva also uh, plus 300. So uh, I don't know, man. That, those odds seem a little off to me right now. But uh, I think uh, De Taleb is the definitely deserving favorite. I mean, it would surprise me if people just didn't know who Silva was after he just hasn't fought for three and a half years. But, you know, Nordin Taleb has gotten a few pretty good wins, especially that knockout over Roberts and uh, beating Endcamp has a couple good wins. So, I mean, the odds are not exactly indicative of what's going on in the fight, but it's understandable why the odds are the way they are. And uh, moving on to the main card, uh, uh, Fox Sports 1 for prelims and uh, the whole card, so that's pretty pretty good, except for the Fight Pass prelims. We got Eric Spicely taking on Darren Stewart. Man, this fight is... Uh, these uh, both these gentlemen kind of struggling in the UFC lately. Um, Spicely has uh, is two and three in the UFC, picking up wins over uh, Thiago Santos and Alessio De Chircio and uh, losing to Sam Alvey, uh, Shoeface and Gerald Mitrat in his last fight. And uh, but his opponent Dan Stewart also struggling pretty pretty bad in the UFC. He has dropped three in a row. Um, it was it lost his last fight to Julian Marquez, the gentleman coming off of the Ultimate Fighter. Um, pretty sure that was like a barn burner, like back and forth crazy fight. If uh, one fight of the night. Um, I don't. Do you remember that fight? Yeah, Darren Stewart actually did excellently. Uh, Marquez, I believe, caught him in like a guillotine, and like after a crazy high pace, Darren Stewart, even in a loss, sort of redeemed himself because I think he got um, 
choked out by Carl Robertson in the fight before that. And I think he got submitted in the fight before that as well. So Darren, I actually favored Darren Stewart over Eric Spicely just on the back of that performance. Because Eric Spicely, he's looked uninspired. Like, I feel like er Eric Spicely is kind of only in the UFC because he has a win over Tiago Santos, which was a gigantic upset. Like, it was, like, upset of the year because Eric, because Tiago Santos is, you know, a big, scary dude, and Eric Spicely, with all due respect, is, you know, kind of unassuming in that regard, but he got the RNC. So, and Spicely's coming off a pretty bad loss to Gerald Mearshart. The, the body kick was really, really nice. So, I mean, it's a close fight. Neither of these guys, like, it's sort of the bottom quarter of middleweight, but I can, I can see this being pretty fun. Yeah, this should be, uh, uh, and honestly, I think it should end in some sort of knockout. Honestly, you know, uh, Stewart showed a pretty good chin in that fight. He ate a lot of bombs and then was able to put him out, so he choked out. But, uh, I mean, honestly, I thought that fight was going to end a lot sooner. Um, you know, there were a lot of exchanges where it probably, you know, seemed like that. But, man, that was a crazy fight. Um, Spicely opened at uh, minus 260 and is uh, currently uh, sitting at um he got bet down you know, to minus 175 so it seems like uh people are having a lot more faith in darren stewart like yourself um you know i i think the spicely uh you know should be the favorite just because stewart has has it's been so long since he's picked up a win uh i mean his last win you'd have to go all the way back to francisco ball ball barroso is that the gentleman's name oh, yeah francisco that was Martin. a no contest uh yeah uh because oh yeah an, an inverted headbutt um Oh yeah, that that headbutt. Yeah, that doesn't doesn't quite ring a bell, but yeah, I don't remember that one. But I mean, I think there's an argument for Eric Spicely just because he well he choked out Tiago Santos. He spent all of round one against Mirshard on um on his opponent's back, and Mirshard's actually a pretty nasty submission guy. So given that Stewart's been tapped out in uh, his last two fights, I think you could argue that Eric Spicely deserves to be the favorite. But on the other hand, like Eric Spicely just, he hasn't been looking good. And uh, Mearshire was just lobbing body kicks at him left and right. And he was just eating them all. So I think Darren Stewart, uh, his last showing gives me a little bit of hope. Yeah, we uh, should be in a good for a good fight. And uh, probably would just bet fight does not go the distance or something. Thunder on that or something. We'll uh, move on to Jason Higdiaz Knight taking on Makwan Amirkani. Uh, surprisingly, Makwan Amirkani opened at around plus 160 odds, I believe. I got a notification for it on my phone when I was at work and I jumped when I saw it and I hoped I could uh, get him as an underdog still. Luckily, I could. I bet him at plus 135. Uh, I mean, I'm. I I think Jason Knight looked so so bad in his last fight. Um, definitely, he he did have some uh, strep throat, I believe, going into that fight. So that's probably a good amount of the you know reasoning behind it. But I mean, shit, dude, why are you fighting with strep throat? Like you know you're gonna lose. You, uh, it, it you know he he got fucked up by Ricardo Lamas in the fight before that. Seemed like he suffered some brain damage because that fight, man, he he looked so bad in that fight. Uh, his last fight against Gabriel Benitez came out rocking double ankle bracelets, double knee pads. 
loses the first round and like takes his knee pads off in between rounds it was like the most bizarre shit ever like and he opened as a favorite in this fight i mean makwan mirakami definitely not the most uh accomplished uh featherweight in the ufc he uh he has more wins in the ufc than losses he's three and one but i mean his only his only his wins are coming over andy agu masio fulin and mike wilkinson um didn't he have the yeah the andy agu was the flying knee that was his uh, his debut but he lost a split decision to uh arnold allen also fighting on this card in, in his last fight so i don't know i have a i have a lot more faith in uh, amir kami uh, he's a super good wrestler i know they uh, people say that uh hick diaz is super good off his back but i mean i don't think it'll be good enough to to be able to triangle a, an incredible wrestler like amir kami and i think that we're in for an amir kami decision um and uh happy to bet on him as an underdog uh, I actually like Knight in this fight, just because like the last fight was just really, really bizarre from Knight. Like he straight up bit Gabriel Benitez, and he was, you know, as you said, wearing wraps everywhere. And uh, given that after the fight, apparently he had surgery to fix some nasal issues, I'm willing to consider the fact that it was a, an anomaly. It was some legitimate health issues. That said, I think Knight has a good shot against Demarconi because. Like, if you look at the Lamas fight, even Ricardo Lamas was pretty skittish to get into Knight's guard because Knight's a tricky guy off his back. And, you know, Knight got pretty much nuked when he got up to his feet at the wrong moment and got beat up for way too long after that. But Knight is a decently strong striker. He's pretty good on the ground. I don't really think Makwan Amerikani has a ton to offer other than some decent wrestling that I don't think gets anywhere. Yeah, I definitely think it should be a close fight. It all depends on, you know, if uh, Hick Diaz is recovered from whatever injuries or problems he had in that last fight, which I don't think he's, you know, it's totally uh, a write-off yet for his career, but um, I think the fact that uh, his opponent's an underdog is just good enough uh, coming off of his past uh, couple showings. And, um, you know, his back is definitely not, not something to ignore, but... I I just have I I don't think we've really seen uh I mean I think we saw it at the on the regional circuit a lot more him getting some submissions off his back but um he only has uh one submission in the UFC and uh, it was a choke over Alex Caceres so um you know uh, and like yeah. I said in the in the uh, in the uh regionals he had tons of triangles and gogo platas and arm bars off his back and inverted triangles and shit like that but they're also in tennessee and mississippi and fights with guys you know with losing records so um i don't really i don't really hold those as as high as you know his ufc performances but um should should be a good fight regardless um uh looking for one of the uh, better matchups on the card um but uh, we will move on to Arnold Allen taking on Mads Burnell. Um, I don't know too much about these gentlemen, so you can you can take it away with this one. Uh, Arnold Allen, a decent prospect. He uh, beat Makwan Arakani in a split decision. He has a pretty slick guillotine over Alan Omer. Not you know, not a really well credentialed opponent, but a pretty slick submission. Uh, not a ton to say he's not really horrible anywhere max burnell has had a pretty rough shake of it from what i've uh, from at least what i've seen i think he has two losses now um in the ufc let me see 
Yep, Mike uh, Michel Pizaris, and uh, that's the only one in the UFC though. One and one oh. in the UFC, beating Mike Santiago, which is oh he beat Mike Santiago. Not... Yeah, Mike Santiago is the one with the rougher stretch uh, facing Zabit before this, and then facing Nads. But <laughs> Zabit. Uh, Mads Burnell. I mean, he honestly looked outsized against Michelle Prezeris, which isn't surprising because he was outsized against Michelle Prezeris, who missed I'm willing weight. to miss weight. <laughs> that guy. And, uh, I mean, he's 9-2 and two overall. It's not an easy fight for Arnold Allen by any means. Arnold Allen is 12-1, and one, with his only loss being uh, on the regional scene in Cage Warriors. So, I don't know a ton about either of these fighters they're um i mean they're both solid prospects but uh if pushed i might give it to alan he's looked uh more impressive in the ufc given a longer tenure yeah arnold allen opened at uh minus 245 and mads Brunel opened at plus 175 and currently uh arnold allen is plus or, uh, excuse me, minus uh, 280 and Burnell is plus 240. So a lot more people are betting on Allen. Seems that they're pretty confident uh, in betting them all the way down to minus 280. So definitely seems that the public is going with uh, Allen on this one. And um, like I said, don't really know enough uh, to make a prediction. But uh, we will move on to the <laughs> the co-main event. <laughs> um, Craig, Craig White versus Neil Magny. Um, so Neil Magny, obviously very established UFC fighter. Uh, his uh, last win coming over uh, the ever game, uh, Carlos Condit, except for he look, did not really look too game in that fight. Uh, Carlos Condit looked one of the worst performances of his career, but not diminishing the win at all. His uh, fight before that, he was uh, pretty much just leveled, though, by Rafael Dos Santos. One, one leg kick took him to the ground, and Dos Santos just kind of ragged on him on the ground. Uh, you know, being the much more, uh, you know, thicker, uh, better grappler guy. Um, so uh, his opponent, uh, Craig White, is filling in on short notice. This fight was supposed to be against Gunnar Nelson, which would have been a hell of a fight. Um, you know, Gunnar is... Uh, you know, kind of overhyped, but he's still very good. Uh, instead, he's taking on Craig White, who is fourteen and seven, coming from Cage Warrior. So uh, uh, he'll uh, maybe maybe have the the crowd behind him a little bit. So it could make this fight a little more interesting. Um, but you know, it seems like it seems like it's a fight to win for Magny. He it, uh, opened as a pretty big favorite, but I think he got bet to a gigantic favorite. Let me check this out real quick. He opened at minus three eighty, which gives his implied probability at seventy nine percent, and he is all the way down to minus six fifty, if I'm correct right now. Um, so, yeah, eighty seven percent. So I mean, he already opened as a pretty gigantic favorite, but to see him go even to almost pretty much double, uh, double down as a favorite, uh, shows that. The uh, the public is pretty confident in Neil Magny on this one, but I mean, shit, that kind of came back to bite them in the ass against Neil Daryush, who was in the same situation. Uh, well established guy, you know, not a contender by any means, but a pretty uh, pretty uh, established gatekeeper in their division. Short notice guy, uh, Alex Hernandez comes in, uh, gets bet down gigantically. Everyone is just throwing money on Daryush for some 
for unforsaken reason. And then uh, Hernandez starts him in a minute. Could have been could have been uh, Hernandez is uh, way more legit than we thought, or it could have just been Darnish not taking him seriously enough. But I hope that uh, Neil Magny is taking this guy serious enough because this dude is fighting in cage warriors fighting in front of his English fans, racking up a bunch of win, uh, wins in a row, suddenly gets the call on a couple weeks' notice that he's going to fight in the big show in front of like a, a, a gigantic home crowd, as big as you can get. Uh, it's the opportunity of a lifetime for uh, this gentleman, uh, Craig White, while it's just another fight. Kind of an unfortunate fight because you know he had a lot more to gain by beating Gunnar Nelson, a ranked opponent. Um, honestly, probably just a, just a better game plan because he's, uh, I mean, he probably would have struggled with the takedown, honestly, uh, and I think that that would have been interesting to see, and hopefully that rematch gets scheduled in the future, but uh, I don't know, man. I, I always, like, I, I can't believe people bet on uh, him from all the way down from minus 380 to minus 650, but this fight, uh, I don't know. I'm not saying it should be close or anything like that, but uh, who knows? What do you think? I mean, uh, Neil Magny, he's you know pretty much an established uh, quantity. He's uh, beaten Carlos Condit pretty much through wrestling, which is how a lot of people beat Carlos Condit. He beat the stuffing out of Hector Lombard, although that isn't really a win that's appreciated because Hector Lombard's gone on a terrific losing streak since. But you know Neil Magny, very solid fighter. But when he loses, he loses bad. He got absolutely pasted by um, Lorenz Larkin. He got choked out by Rafael Dos Anjos and Damian Maya. So, I mean, if you're going to go for the Darius Hernandez analogy, this is probably the fight to go because if Magny loses this one, then it's probably by violent first-round finish. Um, Craig White, a.k.a. the Thundercat, is, uh, he's won eight out of his last ten. Two of his losses are to UFC, at least two at least, the two that I see immediately, uh, are to current UFC signees um, Oscar Pihota and Leon Edwards. So uh, his... Eight out of his last ten, not bad. A lot of his losses seem to be from uh, quite a while ago. So Pachota is huge. I think he's like a solid fighter moving forwards. But yeah, I think Pachota's two hundred five right now in the UFC, and this dude's one seventy. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I wonder. I wonder what his last fight in uh, Cage Warriors was. Let me see if it says it on the. No, unfortunately, it doesn't say the weight on Share Dog. It probably says it on like Fightology or something like that. Let me uh, or Tapology. Let me let me let me Google this gentleman's name, um, to see what his last weight was at. Cause I mean, he could he could probably miss weight uh, for this fight. You know, if he uh, holy shit, he this, this picture of him on Tapology is him is just painted in blood. That's pretty cool. Um, let's see. Welterweight. Okay, good. That's good. Um, but yeah, he did fight as high as uh, middleweight and dropped down. Luckily. Um, uh, yeah, Pachetta's a middleweight too, and not late heavyweight. Excuse me. But um, so uh, yeah, I don't know. This fight should be a little more interesting than the the, the line has it at right now. But uh, I mean, still, kind of a boring uh, co-main event. Yeah, I mean, why has um, a a guillotine choke in seventeen seconds on his record? He has a triangle in uh, four fifty seven. So it's a pretty interesting range there. But, I mean, Neil Magny, he's, you know, he's a fairly, he's not much of a risk taker. He's not the kind to really take a guy lightly. Then again, I didn't think Daryush was either, and Hernandez came out as fiery as you could see anyone in their debut. So if Craig White really brings it to him, you know, makes him respect him early, then I could see a win, but I really, really, really doubt it. I think the odds are fair. Nice. 
Well, uh, we'll move on to the the best matchup of the card, perhaps the best matchup of the month, considering we had a pretty boring pay per view. Uh, you know, not the not the most uh, hyped uh, fight night. Let me think. Was no, there was no event before two twenty four. So I would definitely be confident in saying this is the most anticipated fight of May. And uh, not of June, but definitely because there's some killer matchups in June. But uh, best fight in May, we got Stephen Wonderboy Thompson, the number one ranked uh, welterweight, taking on Darren Till, the number eight ranked welterweight. Darren Till coming off of a knockout win over uh, um, Donald Cerrone uh, last October in Poland. Coming off a decision over uh, Bohan Velokovic and uh, Jessen uh, Ayari. But, uh, I mean, man... Uh, I'll just go out and say that I am very confident in Steven Wonderboy Thompson in this fight. Not much of a fan of this guy before uh, in his previous fights. Um, you know, his style is always is very, very, uh, you know, technical, very, very uh, slow-paced and patient. So uh, it's not always the most exciting, but, I mean, the dude does have a, his fair share of pretty crazy knockouts like... Uh, uh, Jake Allenberg, the spinning back kicks, and he butchered Johnny Hendricks, and uh, he's just a uh, phenomenal striker. Uh, you know, there's, uh, you know, people always use the term, but they're going to say there's levels to this shit. But I think that there's going to be this is going to be a good example of this fight. We have a good striker, great striker, great Muay Thai uh, practitioner. Darren Till has been knocking, knocking dudes, er, well, knocked one guy out in the UFC. That I think that people are building uh, him up as some sort of murderous puncher when he couldn't even finish Bohan Velokovic. Um, you know, he missed, he missed weight in his fight against Jessen Ari by six pounds, or five pounds, excuse me. Um, you know, uh, I, I definitely like the guy. I, his, his, him on the mic is, is incredible when he's, he's like, when he, uh, when he did a promo for this, for this, uh, fight card, and he said something like, when, when Wonderboy hears that, those fucking drums, he's gonna know I'm the fucking man. Like, and like, he's just so confident right now, and so like oozing uh, everything. It's it's great to see, but um, you know, that's what hype trains are. There are a lot of a lot of talking, uh, a lot of uh, illusion, and uh, for the uh, not for the first time, but um, uh, fortunately, I am betting against the hype train in this one. After you know, maybe falling victim to the hype train for uh, uh, Volkan Ozdemir and. Uh, homeboy francis Ngannou, uh you know a lot of hype trains derailed lately but i think that, that we're up for another one in this one um the odds crazy crazy things are going on with the odds in this um people have been talking about this for the past couple of days uh we saw uh stephen thompson open at minus 165 he hovered around there for a couple of weeks there until at plus 125 uh, he actually got up to around plus 145 for most of the week and, uh, you know, he ended up, uh, these fights uh, has totally switched around now to Stephen Thompson being an underdog, Darren Till being the favorite. Incredible, incredible line movement in this one. Uh, about two days ago, uh, Darren Till, let me, let me check the, uh, the graph on this one. He was at, yeah, plus 145, plus 145. And then from on May 22nd, Tuesday into Wednesday, he drops all the way down to minus 105. Goes as low as minus 120 in this one. You know, I think a lot of this has to go with um, the UK people are just going strong on their homeboy. They're, they're you know, preparing for a good weekend. They got the bell tour. They got their uh, soccer team. And they think that their, their boy is going to close it out on Sunday. And they might as well throw some money on it. But I don't think this is the case. 
Uh, I've been talking for a couple minutes in this one, so I'll let you have the floor. But uh, I'm going to go with uh, Stephen Thompson. He's going to win. Um, don't know how. I'm going to say uh, I'm gonna say that overall in this fight, I, I cap it at around, you know, uh, let's say uh, 40% um, Stephen Thompson decision. 35% Stephen Wonderboy Thompson knockout. Probably around uh, 4 or 5 and uh, 25% uh, with uh, Darren Till winning. So maybe I should give him yeah. a little more. Uh, I, I, it's nice that the Scousers are coming out and, you know, really supporting their guy. It's it's obvious in the odds movement because I'm pretty sure any smart money, like when it comes to the really proven fighter, it's obviously Steven Thompson. Darren Till, he finished two fighters in his UFC tenure, one uh, Wendell Oliveira in his debut, not terribly remarkable and donald cerrone obviously more remarkable but cerrone's historically had a problem with um you know pressure with southpaws with straight punches so darren till beating him is it's impressive for sure but it's not really indicative of how he uh would face someone who's a lot more comfortable moving backwards a lot more comfortable at a longer range a lot more comfortable trading hands so the okay so watching uh till uh till Cerrone again, a few things come to mind. First of all, Till, obviously very impressive. The left hand, uh, pretty versatile with it. Obviously, he trades with the 1-2 a ton. Uh, once Cowboy started ducking that, he switched to the uppercut. And then once Cowboy reacted to the uppercut, he went back to the 1-2, and then he flicked out an overhand. The problem here is that, A, there aren't many, like, he throw, he works entirely in straight blows. And straight blows don't work well when uh, you've got a laterally active fighter like Stephen Thompson. Stephen Thompson, Wonder Boy, doesn't really work on straight lines as much as Till would like him to. And Till, he doesn't cut the cage. He's not excellent at cutting the cage, rather. Uh, if someone goes past his lead shoulder, he doesn't really have a kicking game. If someone circles to his right, he isn't really, he doesn't have that many weapons. He doesn't have a lead hook. He doesn't have anything spinning like Conor McGregor did to hurt his opponents into his own left hand. He doesn't really have a rear hook either. He showed an overhand against Cerrone, but he doesn't use that consistently. And overall, he doesn't have that much to keep a savvy opponent where he wants them. And, and you know, uh, a lot of people, uh, a couple Reddit users in particular, have uh, really latched onto the idea of Darren Till chopping Thompson down with leg kicks. And Thompson hasn't shown those leg kicks in MMA competition. He's shown them in pure striking, but obviously there's a difference. Um, it's an interesting fight. I think Till's best shot is if he can pressure Stephen Thompson, and that's a pretty, pretty big if. Because Stephen Thompson, you know, Hendricks tried to rush towards him and need a right hand to the chin. A lot of guys have tried to pressure him and came up pawing at air or running into straight kicks. But if Till can pressure him, there's a really solid chance that Till could land something big because Stephen Thompson's defense is dependent mostly on him being out of range. So what Till pretty much needs to try to implement his usual strategy, which is push towards the fence, take the space away from Stephen Thompson and hope that Thompson's tendency of just leaning away from shots means that he gets dropped really easily from that patented straight left. But I mean, past that, Till has an elbow. He doesn't use it in a very versatile way uh, when his opponent's really up against the fence and just kind of staring at him. Um, Till's feints, that might work to draw reactions out of Thompson, but Thompson isn't generally the reckless type anyway. Uh, Thompson really isn't looking to close range on Till, so that 
those sorts of easy counters aren't going to be there for Till. Uh, I'm going to go with, um, it's going to look either like Thompson, Masvidal, or Thompson, Hendricks, depending on how good Till's chin is. Yeah, uh, I mean, the uh, you put, present a good point with like the pressure. You know, it seems like that's his way to win, but shit man when you're saying the best way to win is by pressuring steven thompson on the feet that's like saying the best way you know to win is to you know take uh oh shit well this isn't the best example i was gonna say take damian my down uh it was gonna say to you know try and try and do the same to conor mcgregor you know obviously a much better counter striker a much more murderous puncher uh mcgregor is but i mean still you're talking about like guys who are known for their excellent movement known for their excellent like uh defense uh staying at range and uh you know it just it's it's a very very tall task to t- uh, to t- tackle being able to beat yeah. him in his own game uh you know obviously uh, t- uh darren till's got a lot of muay thai experience has great great uh great hands but i mean so does so does pretty much all of the guys that uh Wonderboy Thompson has fought. Dude's what fifty seven and zero in kickboxing. He just beat uh, a very good striker in uh, Jorge Masvidal. He uh, that was his uh, most recent fight. Uh, yeah, at UFC two seventeen. Um, so I mean, he's just so pr- uh, proven and shop worn at this point. And you know, not not in a, in a bad way. He's you know thirty five years old. Obviously, he's got like ten years the elder on uh, the twenty five year old Darren Till. But I mean, you know that that certainly that will that uh might play a little bit of a factor. But I think that you know we've seen that uh, Thompson is still as ever uh, quick as ever. He's went to the distance with Woodley. He's taken all of Woodley's shots. He's you know gotten knocked down by Woodley. Totally dropped Queer Street. Didn't know where he was, and still somehow was able to survive. And looked like locked in guillotine for like a minute straight. Just nobody even knew how he did that. Like. Uh, it's gonna be hard to finish this guy. Hard. Um, has he has he ever been finished in his life? Yeah, he's got he's gotten. Uh, no, no, two decision losses. No. Matt Brown pretty much drowned him in the clinch and on the ground, and Tyron Woodley put on some an impressive but not an exciting performance. And I think it's worth noting Darren Till's efforts to finish Cowboy were honestly kind of horrible. Because he he landed the left hand and his cowboy shelled up, he sort of just winged shots on his arms. It it reminded me a lot of um, Yair Rodriguez finishing BJ Penn, like it worked, but that's only because like the first shot was so like powerful. Because and BJ and uh, activity finish more than anything else. Yeah, they both just quit in that fight. They got hit with one shot and just sheltered up like turtles. It was pathetic. I don't understand. Well, I, don't, I mean, he obviously got hit with a huge shot in that fight, but uh, I mean. Cerrone, obviously, Penn, too, just like with your example, not able to eat a shot the same way they were able to. And I think the fact that that's, you know, Till's best win coming into this is come, is uh, Cerrone on, a, what, on the first three-fight losing streak. Or the, he's lo- dropped two fights in a row for the first time in his career. He's coming in this one and then gets his third loss in a row after he just shows up looking totally flat. Um <laughs> Also, wasn't bald in that fight. He had hair, so, I mean, that's obviously an indicator that he's going to lose. Um, you know, Darren Till is kind of a weirdo. He's got Paige Van Zant tattooed on his arm. Um, <laughs> uh, just kidding. Uh, he's got his baby mama, his Brazilian baby mama, tattooed on his arm. Um, 
Wow. Uh, doesn't live in Brazil anymore. Lives in uh, uh, Liverpool. Had to leave his daughter and his baby moms uh, in Brazil. I'm sure he's sending her some uh, Western uh, Western Union checks. But uh, as a consolation to them, he got a tattoo of baby moms on his arm that looks exactly like Paige Van Zandt. Pretty weird. Uh, pretty cool guy. I love his accent. It sounds crazy. I think the atmosphere at Liverpool is going to be in amazing i think it would be crazy for thompson to to win and to shut the crowd up and hear it quiet and you know the only thing you hear is like the announcer is just yelling like Stephen what if we toss it with a knock or whatever it is and everybody in the arena quiet or we're gonna see the the roof blow off that bitch uh if darren till somehow pulls off the upset well according to the odds makers it's not an upset so i mean this is my biggest bet ever yeah, i have an upset uh, biggest bet ever can on, pull that off. on Stephen Thompson uh, money line. I bet him a uh, so uh, he was minus one sixty minus or minus one seventy. I started looking at it, went to minus one sixty. Was that there for a couple days? I was like, I want to bet him at minus one fifty. I check and he's at minus one ten. I'm like, holy shit! I'm pulling the trigger. And then he went to plus odds, and I had to pull the trigger for a little bit more as I saw him as an underdog. But, I mean, man, if this U.K. money keeps flooding in on their Buttertooth Brit or, you know, Scottish a lad over here, um, I'm going to – might have to be tempted to bet a little bit more on our boy, uh, Wonder Boy. Like, it's kind of incredible. Like, it's, uh, it's commendable, obviously, that, you know, um, Liverpool is supporting their guy in their first um, – UFC event, but like the amount of money that came in until in a fairly big fight to make him the favorite against Steven Thompson, one of the most proven guys at welterweight, a guy who he drew with the champion. So he like drawing with the champion is insane. So Till is basically getting the biggest step up possible here that isn't the champion. And it's really rough when he's only faced one guy who even approaches legit so it's really tough to see him winning and it's even tougher to see how he became the favorite yeah well uh it's it's the hype train it's rolling through liverpool right now it's rolling through all of the united kingdom right now and they're just they're just collecting money uh for the Taren darren Till hype train that's cool with me that's cool with me um well uh that's enough said for this card on paper we got look it's looking pretty rough it's looking like we yeah. might fall asleep sunday morning for the first couple snoozers we're starting off with two women's fights and a lot elias theodoro so basically three women's fights um i mean so well but we'll, we're still hopeful we think that uh spicely and uh stewart should be uh, a barn burner uh kelly and breeze is kind of a sleeper matchup taleb and silva should be good if uh silva is looking good coming off of that layoff amir kami and uh knight should be a good uh ground scramble matchup and then of course the main event is uh, probably one of the best fights all month so um you know on paper not looking the best but we think that uh, uh hopefully the main event will deliver and we will have, I mean, I don't see any way it couldn't unless, you know, we just see an outclassing from Wonder Boy on the feet, which is honestly not even, uh, not even, um, unplausible, but you know, at least we would still win our plata on that one. Um, so we're going to move on to some, uh, some, uh, any other final thoughts on the car from you? Uh, no, nah, I mean, like, I feel like the fun fights are probably going to be Thompson till, uh, night, maybe Stewart. Uh, Brees is kind of a point fighter. Uh, he 
didn't really do that well against Strickland to finish. So, I mean, and Neil Magny White might just be a blowout. So, I mean, obviously we're going to catch one. It's got to be the main event. But overall, this card is, it's riding on the fact that there's a guy from Liverpool in the main event and that's going to buy yeah. or draw the match. Well, luckily that's all, that's all we need. Uh, these. Oh yeah. So, uh, David, yeah. David, David Tamer versus Nick Lentz. That fight's not happening anymore. Oh yeah. Oh no, that's happening that's next rough. week. Next week, yeah. Okay, that's not so bad. I I thought that was on this card for some reason. Um, Gunnar Nelson obviously got pulled from the card, so I mean the it's for, uh had a little bit of injuries, which a lot like the last Chile card, but luckily everything is good. Hopefully everybody makes weight, and hopefully we have a great card on Sunday morning. But uh, other than that, we're gonna move on to the some some stories from the rest of the week. And to start it off, we got to talk about the biggest news. Yeah, UFC signed a, an exclusive deal for 2019 with ESPN. We're talking 20 events on ESPN Plus, the new app costing 4.99 uh, a month. 20 events on that. 12 pay-per-view prelims on uh, ESPN uh, or ESPN Two, and 10 original. All uh, 13 fights are going to be on. Yes, or maybe maybe they'll still do fight pass. Who knows? But uh, all maybe ten fights are going to be on ESPN. So forty two events on ESPN and, or ESPN Plus in two thousand nineteen. No more Fox. The Fox era is over. The robot fighting, the Jay Glazers, the all that bullshit. Uh, sh- uh Shannon Sharp. No, I skip skip Bayless. I think uh, Shannon Sharp is ESPN, but. Who knows where this is going to go with the UFC? You know, the UFC is going to be on ESPN now. They're going to have their highlights shown in the morning on Sports Center very frequently. They're going to get a lot more promotion. Uh, you know, I definitely think this is a, a step in the right direction. I was, I, I definitely feel like signing with, re-signing with Fox would have been a super stagnant move, and it wouldn't have changed anything, and it probably would have led to the demise of. Uh, I mean, it's just been going downhill on Fox for so long. You got you got to switch it up. Like the UFC made a, made the good choice. I think there was actually a little bit of a betting war going on where Fox wanted to keep wanted they Fox wanted the WWE to start with, but they also wanted to keep a, a little bit of the uh, UFC. And I believe ESPN eventually outbid them uh, for the sum of one point five billion dollars, which is pretty incredible for. Uh, you know, I don't know how long the contract is necessarily lasting. There's been talks about the Ultimate Fighter being canceled. Uh, you know, Dana White Tuesday Night Contender Series could transfer to ESPN, or I think it is ESPN Plus. So there's a lot of moving parts, but I definitely think that this is a step in the right direction. Yeah, uh, I agree with most of what you said. I don't think the UFC is anywhere near demise, but UFC on Fox has been drawing kind of horribly for a long time. Uh, I remember there was the Demetrius Johnson Wilson Hayes fight on a UFC on Fox, and it had Robert Whitaker and Jack Array. It had um, Rose Namajunas, and it drew terribly. I think the last few UFC on Fox they've been incredible, but they haven't been drawing well at all. Yeah, Poirier so- versus Gaethje drew like nothing. Like, dude, like that's that's if you had to bet your your mortgage on one fight to be exciting all year, it would have been that one. Yeah, and, and so I mean, Fox is excellent job with the promotion so i don't mind it going to espn uh if the ultimate fighter is dying i say thank god i think that needs to die in a fire um tuesday night contender series the excellent better streamlined version of the ultimate fighter that's something worth keeping that's something worth promoting and it's been really really fun so 
ESPN, I'm overall um, on. Uh, I'm on board with that just because, you know, Fox, it's, I don't think the writing's been on the wall per se, but it's time to switch it up when the offer came and ESPN outbid them. So the, it was clear what the best option was. And uh, I mean, we, uh, I don't know, this is one of the most insane, insane statistics in MMA history. One of the very unknown ones, too. Um, UFC on Fox won. The first one, Dos Santos versus uh, Velasquez, uh, did 8.88 million viewers during the main event. It was a one card main, main event or main card, and it did 8.88 million viewers because it was, you know, the first time a big title fight like that was on uh, pay per view and everything like that. So when we haven't seen. The, the the TV numbers uh, surpassed 2.5 million in the past couple of years, you know. Like, I, I can't even imagine, like, when what the last highest, you know. It, it used to get, the Foxes used to get 3 million everyone. They used to get 2 million, and now they're getting low 1 million. And it's like, it's just a steady decline. So I think if the UFC were, you know, to start off the year with some big fight on ESPN, like, you know, Rose Namajunas versus uh, Joanna Yajajek, the trilogy, some crazy shit like that. Uh, and they, well, it's got to be Andrade at this point. Uh, yeah, well, I think, yeah, it's, that's an, it's, there would be, the, they would definitely have to get another win. Or, uh, Yajajek would have to beat Torres, and then I think Namajunas should fight uh, uh, Andrade and. Uh, I mean, I think I feel like there's one. I feel like there's one other woman I'm forgetting at the top of the heap. Um, am I wrong? Oh, Kovalevich, maybe. Yeah, yeah, that's her. I, uh, I guess Kovalevich Andrade could happen, but I mean, I, I, I think, I don't know. I feel like I feel like uh, Andrade is already ready. Uh, I don't know. There's a lot going on in the strawweight right now. There's uh, uh, you know, Gedalia and Esparza, uh, Joanna and Tisha, um. Maybe uh we could I don't know potentially uh, Jessica and Carolina can get matched up or you know if Rose is potentially uh, need some time off. Um, I hope not. Yeah, who knows? Um, but I'd like to, yeah obviously like to see her get, be active, but um yeah. lot lot I going mean, on that division. I like Carolina, but Andrade probably destroys her. Yep. Uh, and I think Andrade beats Rose Namajunas, and I think um you wanna get your title back from Andrade, so you know it's yeah, that'd be uh, awesome to see. Awesome to see. Huh? I, I, uh, yeah, it'd be uh, I said it would be awesome to see. I like I like Andrade a lot. She's she's just fucking ferocious. But I mean, yeah, yeah the, uh, that that division is one of the best in the UFC, um, low key. Um, but we'll uh, move on to a couple other news stories from the week. We had Verdum popping by Usada. Nothing too exciting there. Um, the dude looks like shit though. It doesn't have like, any muscles. I don't really know. I feel like it could be like a, a fluke supplement shit. I mean, I don't really buy tainted supplement stuff. I didn't buy it from Jones. I didn't buy it from Romero. I don't buy it from Overdoom. I don't buy it from Barnett. I don't buy it from anyone, even with the most dad bod of dad bods. Just because, I mean, uh, they could have hidden benefits. That said, if Verdum was legitimately taking PEDs, he looked like trash against Volkov. Like, yeah, he couldn't get, get any. That's why I don't get it. He hasn't looked good in so long. And, uh, I mean... Yeah, I mean, there's there's a lot of there's a lot of supplements going around. There's a lot of crazy supplements. I think 
two Brazilian heavyweights this past month, you know, tested positive for tainted supplements and were got got it got it cleared by USADA and was able to, you know, revoke their suspension, which is what happened with Romero. And I feel like I mean they're only they're only letting people off the hook if they have solid solid evidence to to re- refute their testimony. So uh, I I think obviously although uh, I I'm gonna go against your opinion and say that those guys are are innocent once they finally prove it. But I mean I'm not saying that this is the case with Verdum. I'm just saying that it doesn't really seem like the dude was on steroids but who the fuck knows i don't really know how steroids really work honestly but um we'll uh we'll uh now that's not really worth uh dwelling on too much because Verdum's kind of irrelevant um gsp on joe rogan's podcast was super awesome had a lot of good insight on his fight with uh michael michael bisping and that saying that like they would be talking with one another like yeah you got a range over man it's like yeah i got it yeah it's good mileage yeah but i gotta get rid of it soon it's like oh yeah they only last five years and then they're talking and then he the next time they go to talk to something and then uh he goes hey mike and then he goes hey get your fucking hands off me you you you, you know and then and then GSP's like what what man and then he looks around and there's a camera recording he's like ah shit and he's it's just like the genius behind that shit and like uh how how humane uh GSP seemed on that podcast was pretty interesting I gotta finish the rest of it yeah I want to see Bisping on that podcast he was supposed to be on it um today I believe today or yesterday but uh, it got canceled uh really yeah I feel like I heard about that too but I don't I don't know I can't I guess I guess hearing from him would be good, but I don't know. I feel like his voice is gonna get annoying, and his personality is just gonna get annoying. If it's this one was three hours long, so I hope I hope that uh the next one will be a little shorter. Yeah, I mean you know Bisping's my guy, so. Yeah, well, uh, Mike Perry is causing some weird vibes on social media. I saw he, he today he tweeted, "My nigga Tyrone Woodley, so and so, so and so, like." Amazing. <laughs> I don't I don't really get it. Like the dude is like he he claims to be like a little bit black or something like that, but I mean he looks so white and I mean I like I personally legitimately don't care, especially coming from Mike Perry, who uh like I don't even know what to say about him at this point. He's like just undescribable. But I mean, it's really not the political climate to be saying that sort of thing at the same time. So I hope he gets some sort of manager to, you know, delete his tweets at the right time. Yeah, I don't. I just don't understand. Like, what the hell goes through someone's mind when they do that? Like, I, okay, you can make jokes like Colby Covington and shit like that, but when you like, I don't understand that. But who? Well, whatever. We don't dwell, dwell on that too long because it's so crazy. Um, Alexei Olenek was supposed to fight Fabricio Verdum to headline UFC Russia. Headline UFC Russia with that fight. Jesus. Uh, uh, but uh, the next day, Verdum gets popped for uh, PEDs. Now there's talk of Mark Hunt uh, replacing Verdum, ironically. Um, and uh, Mark Hunt would take on Alexei Olenek. Which will uh, uh, be uh, a, a matchup to discuss later down the line. But sheesh. You think that uh, going to Russia for the first time, you, you think that they, would, they could have a better fight than a 40-year-old versus a 43-year-old? Um I mean, it's interesting, I suppose, but, like, Verdum versus Olenek just had that, like, this sort of charm of, here you have this top five all-time UFC grappler, and he's facing this guy with just this one meme niche submission that he, like, he shouldn't be able to pull off at any time, but he's pulled it off twice. And now you've just got this guy with the meme submission who was losing to a giant baby on the feed, and he's facing a kickboxer 
who's absolutely monstrous. Like it, he's got two it, in the two in the UFC. I think he's got, I think he's got eleven eleven uh, Ezekiel's overall, something yeah. like, something crazy like that. It, um, but yeah, but like it went from a really fun exhibition to just something that could, like, with one misstep, end up being super super sad. Yeah, honestly, I I favor Olenek in that fight, but just by <laughs> just total outclassing on the ground. Like Mark Hunt's always been a wimp on the ground. I mean, it's gonna be hard to, you know, submit well, him. Surprisingly. That. Been a while since Hunt's been tapped out. Yeah, but you know Brock Lesnar kind of just whimped him on the ground, and obviously you know uh, the wrestler is more likely to do that. But uh, I got, I mean, same with Stipe. But I mean, uh, I think that with a, there's just such a clear game plan. To, I don't know, but obviously Mark Hunt could just knock him out on the feet too. But Mark Hunt, yeah. Mark Hunt's power is just might not be the same. Be you know Curtis Blades like ate his shots like it was nothing, and uh, you know might have been rocked by him a little bit, but still just a shot for blasted for a double once he got rocked by him. So could have been that rocked um, after he shot that, but. Uh, talk about a couple of fights that are uh, added. Uh, Gilbert Burns versus Dan Hooker. That's a great fight. Uh, and uh, mm-hmm. Alex Hernandez versus Oliver Oben Mercier. Great fight. Um, uh, okay, Hooker, Burns. Okay, outside of the unfortunate last name thing, which is just weird. Hmm. Uh, Hooker Burns. Like, um, Burns, he's supposed to be a jiu-jitsu guy. He is a jiu-jitsu guy. He's incredible. But... He's been knocking he's, dudes out on the feet. Just incredibly heavy hands. Yeah. Like insane. he's he's just starching people. He killed Jason Sago and he made Dan Moret take a nap on his own knee. It was it was like it's really the sort of thing where great jujitsu helps great stand up because he doesn't have to be scared of getting taken down. Yeah. Now Dan Hooker, he seems to have put it together since moving up a weight class. And uh it's interesting. Hooker seems to be a really, you know, smart fighter. He knocked out uh, Jim Miller in really short time. It was pretty impressive. He's finding that knee left and right. I don't think you'll be able to find it on Gilbert Burns, but, you know, he's a taller guy, so maybe. I favor Hooker there. Um, Alvin Mercier against Hernandez. I honestly have no idea what to make of Hernandez. Hernandez, he blitzed Darius, and I really I love Darius. Darius is – he's – an underrated top guy, but the dude is just ice cold. And you can't be ice cold when you've got someone as fiery as Alex Hernandez just bolting towards you. So if Oban Mercier is prepared for that sort of initial onslaught, I think you'll pick it up because that sort of approach is not sustainable unless you're on every steroid in the book. So I favor Oban Mercier. He's more proven, but great fights. Both of them great fights. Yep, I agree. I don't I don't think about fights until like the week they're happening, but uh, <laughs> those said those sounded pretty uh, accurate analysis of those. Um, but uh, let's see, Crocot uh, falling out of Bellator 200's main event, kind of a bummer, but no one was really looking forward to that fight anyway. Uh, I mean, I guess seeing Bellator and Crocop as a debut, but it's not like Roy Nelson is an interesting opponent by any stretch of the means. Um, I, I honestly interesting to they uh, they said that he he uh crow crab like blew everything out in his knee. I'm pretty sure he got surgery, so it seems legit. But somebody was like, or Ryzen just sent an envelope full of cash. Um, but you never know, never know with his uh, yakuza ties. Um, I mean, uh, honestly, crow crab tearing his knee is a tragedy in its own right, but. Crocop tearing his knee and therefore Roy Nelson being the alternate for the tournament is also a tragedy because 
I think Crow Cop would have beaten the crap out of Roy Nelson and become the alternate himself. But, you know, Roy Nelson, I believe, lost in the first round to Matt Mitrione, and now he's the alternate for no reason. Yeah. Bellator is just a mess. Yeah, that's true. I mean, that's what they get for trying to make that stupid fight in the first place when they have a perfectly good main event before them. Yeah, I was going to say that. Let me see what other... Yeah, I mean, uh, that should be a great fight. Gigoro Musashi taking on uh, Rafael Carvalho. Carvalho. Is that the gentleman's name? Yeah. Um, and yeah. then uh, we got Phil Davis taking on Emmanuel Newton. Um, what other fights we got on this card? Um, I haven't really been tracking the Bellator too much. How about you? Uh, I'm not really that into Bellator. I follow Paul Daly and I follow Gegard, but you know Daly got, um, well he booed his own fight last time and that was fun. Yeah. And Gegard, I think he takes out Carvalho, but Carvalho is pretty underrated. Um, Gegard, I mean, Gegard is, he's been underrated for so long, but now he's overrated. Like he he beat <laughs> Vitor off. T- he beat Henderson, I believe, off TRT, and he beat Weidman in some really weird circumstances. So, I mean, and he beat Jacare with a up kick and then got dominated the next time. He's certainly solid. He's certainly championship caliber in Bellator. He might even be championship caliber in the UFC. But I don't think, despite a very impressive numerical record, that he's proven at the championship level. Yeah, um, I, like you said, uh, Bellator is, I think, the better the ho- better place for him. I mean, he would have just been anybody in the top five uh, of the UFC, and, and instead he's kind of the number one guy in Bellator. And, uh, yeah, he's a huge favorite going to this fight. Uh, Michael Venom Page is also on the card. Uh, Anastasia Yanakova, the Russian uh, fighter who is as as good as they get. In the looks department, um, I don't know about how I don't know how she fights, but um, certainly interested in that. So it's Friday night, so that's pretty good. They spaced it out with the UFC. Uh, I'll definitely watch that, but not no uh, no high expectations going into Bellator like always. I mean, I don't really know that much about um, what you talked about later. I don't you remember her name? Yanakova, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, but Michael Venom Page, I'm ready for that meme to end to be totally honest mm. i mean you've got people talking about him facing wonder boy and it's just it's annoying you've got people talking about paul daly ducking this dude who's faced i don't know homeless dudes fighting for sandwiches and now he's fighting a lightweight it's it's embarrassing the fact that bellator's pushing this guy as the next big thing is frankly embarrassing he's getting old he's unproven he's really getting nowhere and paul daly would have nuked him but you know i mean if he's content fighting lightweights for the rest of his career, you know, fair play to him. God bless him. But, you know, not yeah, really that under- much to- Really underwhelming career. We're kind of a, just a meme uh, in general, like you said. Um, but uh, let's see. We'll close it out on the last on the last note uh, for the week. And the high note of the week, Dana White has said that he has plans of meeting with Conor McGregor this weekend in Liverpool. So we can only hope for the best in there. We can only hope that... Uh, they do as much coke as they can, and they can come to an agreement on something. Uh, maybe get Connor in the the octagon before the year is over, and uh, you know just hope that um, uh, the golden goat can come back to his throne. Yeah, Connor versus Dolly for UFC two thirty, I suppose. Yeah. But I mean, uh, I mean, I don't really think anything's gonna come of this. 
I honestly feel like the reaction that Dana gave to Connor's uh, entire fiasco before 223 was kind of an act, given that they didn't hesitate for one second to put it into the embedded. So, I mean, it's it's something, I suppose, but it's not really a lot. Uh, I'm much more confident than you. I think he's going to be fighting Tyron Woodley. I think he's going to be fighting GSP. I think he's going to be fighting Khabib. Uh, he's going to beat them all. Uh, one punch. Uh, it's all it takes. No, but um, you know, GSP one was punch, definitely, bro. definitely, definitely talking about a uh, cut to one fifty five on the podcast and how it's in the in the foreseeable future, and uh, he t- also talks about you know the only thing I want to come back for is to do something that's never been done before, which would be win a title in three weight classes. But you know he's got to fight the the person with the actual belt. Now I'm saying which would be Khabib at this time. And I don't think he wants to fight Khabib because he knows that uh, he would struggle against Khabib and he would has a much better matchup against Connor. So I think GSP is kind of just waiting for Connor to maybe come back and try to challenge Khabib for the belt, and then he will come in and say that he wants to challenge for the lightweight belt. But uh, uh, a, lot, yeah. a lot of cards have to fall in place for that to happen, but it is the fantasy matchup. I mean, I think GSP takes out uh, Khabib easy. GSP is the bigger guy. He's probably the stronger wrestler, but not the stronger ground technician necessarily. But GSP, or uh, Khabib rather, isn't an excellent striker. His striking defense is held up just because people are scared enough of his wrestling that he's, you know, they're not willing to really open up. And the one guy that did open up against Khabib got a couple flurries in before getting taken down and, you know, destroyed. So... I think GSP jabs him up, keeps him at the end of the jab, and doesn't really screw with the wrestling at all. But, I mean, I think GSP, the colitis issues that he had at 185 are going to stop him from really making a good run to cut to 155. So, I mean, I'm not really sure. If a Conor McGregor fight happens, which I hope for Conor's sake it does not, if a Conor fight happens, then it's probably going to be at a catch weight. Yeah, that would be better, honestly. I think they should just do that instead of playing, uh, you know, gambling their cards, hoping the counter gets the belt back. Um, but it's going to be hard for GSP to come. I don't know. Obviously, the thing is, he says he has enough money and he doesn't want to come back for money. But obviously, the funny, the money he would get for from the G, uh, from the counter fight would be probably his entire net worth right now. You know, he'd probably get another twenty million or something like that. Um, from that fight so i i mean it's that's that's incentive enough he doesn't want to really admit it but i think that he he on paper you know technically he or he's saying he wants to come back for that third belt and challenge for it but i think uh i think the the mcgregor fight is what he really wants because and you know you you say that uh, gsp thinks uh can beat uh you know could be that's obviously a very hypothetical matchup but i don't think it's i don't think it's easy at all i think it would be a, a dog fight of a decision where i think uh could be you would probably just outlast him on uh you know act, his recent activity and his you know uh you know just with how comfortable he is on the ground it would just be a a, a crazy crazy uh wrestle fest but um it would be a good fight regardless sure. it's, so, it's so hypothetical and then uh obviously i favor uh connor against anybody in the ufc but um uh yeah all hypothetical all we can hope for is the best and maybe get connor in the the, the octagon before the year's end but yeah, uh, i mean connor um connor's just a weird case because there's sort of been a legend grown around him when like he's obviously done better than most he's done he's an incredible fighter but I 
don't and I think he actually beats Ferguson pretty easily and he has a really really good shot against Khabib but I think saying that he beats GSP he even gets close to beating GSP is a little bit too much of a stretch to me just because GSP is just way too good everywhere and Conor McGregor is you know he's he's obviously an excellent striker he's obviously uh he can handle himself on the ground he showed that against Diaz he showed that against Mendez but GSP, I feel, just overwhelms him and overwhelms Khabib. Conor McGregor by knockout, round one against Khabib or GSP. Eleven seconds. Yep, that's a, that's all it would take. That both of them are just too sloppy on the feet, and they would just get their faces punched in, ASAP. Um, but you know that's not an unbiased opinion at all. Um, but on that note, we will uh, end this podcast. We've been going for a little over two hours, two hours and ten minutes to be exact. But uh, Sri Ram, I can't thank you enough for coming on the podcast and uh, having this in-depth analysis. I mean, we've been you've been uh, taking the words out of my mouth on a lot of the, the things I usually say. So it's great to hear. Great to have you on. Very yeah, insightful analysis. Uh, all, all, awesome uh, comments on everything. Really appreciate it. Um, uh, nice to be here. Yep, yep. I hope to have you back on the podcast soon. Maybe make you uh, a regular. Uh, I hope that uh, everybody enjoys UFC Liverpool this weekend. I hope that uh, the MMA gods are in Wonder Boy's favor. And <laughs> ladies and gentlemen, boys, girls, aliens, Martians, any conscious being tuning into the podcast, I thank you for tuning in to episode 19 of Martian MMA. And we will catch you next week before UFC Utica. Peace. Thank you.